Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Beers, Please. I'm Matthew Smith, and with me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Yannick. And we've got another wonderful show for you all, going over the top stories in the sports world, as well as talking lots of soccer with the MLS Championship this weekend and the Champions League group stage complete. We actually decided to, Yannick texted me like yesterday or today, and was like, hey, so do you want to like record later in the day so we can like let the Champions League just finish out? So that is complete. Uh, some good news for for one of us, but you know, that was that that good news was expected. Uh, but you know, a little peek also into Formula One, which has had an interesting couple of weeks, and of course, we're going to be going over Week 13 in the NFL. You know, we're going to ask you to follow and like the Two Beers Please Facebook page. We got the Instagram Two Beers Please underscore podcast, and our Twitter the number two BP underscore podcast. Make sure you're looking at those Instagram stories. Jan's always keeping us on our toes with a little daily trivia, which is a lot of fun. You're like our you're like our himbo, Jan. I that is my that is exactly what I want to be. Is I want to be your himbo. You're doing a Although good I job. To, thank you. Although I have to, I like. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I have to like balance it out because I've had some harder questions, and like on those days, nobody. <laughs> like it's like I get one answer. I want to get it wrong. Right, and I'm like, fair, fair. Do that. Like, I, I do there it. are times I've even done that where I, I go through and I'm like, I don't, I don't fucking know. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna answer. I don't, I don't know it. It's hard. It's harder than it looks. And like, you know, it's one thing asking, you know, Dan Graziano because he's got like a million different things in his head, like what an answer is. But like, I can't ask you who the lead rusher of 1979 season was. That's ridiculous. That's that's not gonna help. Eric Dickerson. Oh my goodness. I don't, I, don't know if, I, I, I don't know if that's true. It can't I, be, right? You know. He didn't play. I, I honestly do. I like, I kind of think some of your questions are, it was Walter Payton. Wait, is it Walter? Oh, there you go. Okay, this doesn't make any sense. Walter Payton is listed on this thing as one. Earl Campbell is listed as two. But Walter Payton has uh, 1,610 yards, and Earl Campbell has 1,697 yards. So I, I have... No idea who led the league in rushing yards that year. I guess I maybe it includes like playoffs. Maybe that's what's happening. Yeah, right. probably or something. Who knows? What is this? Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> at the same thing. I have no what is idea. Going on? <laughs> All right. Well, that must this, have been a conflict. I think it's, Earl, I think it's Earl Campbell. Right. I don't. Yeah, they just gave it. They just gave it to Walter Payton because they're like, but we have to give it to Walter Payton. Yeah. Like, good job, nice Walter Payton. You know, he's a legend. What are we gonna do? Yeah. Even even as a even as a Packers fan, I have to admit that. Uh, so we're gonna now go to a little new segment, which I'm calling wordplay. I didn't you know didn't take too long to think about that one, but uh, sometimes simple is best. Sort of piggybacking off of, of our little discussion about how do you like them apples, which we learned is supposedly from World War One when the anti tank grenades were referred to as a toffee apple. So also some great shit talking history there as well. Um, this segment is brought to you by my neighbor's kid's lemonade stand. Even in the cold, there's nothing like a mediocre glass of lemonade for 25 cents. So this week, uh, and thank you to my neighbor's kid's lemonade stand for uh, supporting the podcast this week. But this week we have a new phrase. And considering this is new beer, two beers, please. I thought this was a pretty apt choice. Hair of the dog or hair of the dog that bit you. Now, when we think about it now, we usually, you know, think about it when someone's hungover and needs, say, a Bloody Mary to help ease the pain. 
I clearly don't have a go-to hangover cocktail that immediately came to mind. Uh, But the history of the phrase comes from a medieval belief that if a rabid dog bit you, one should either put the hair of the dog on the wound or in a potion to drink, which, of course, did nothing. And uh, while I, was, <laughs> so I think my favorite thing that I found, like, that I read while I was researching the, like, just like the etymology of it was like someone being like, so how many other people got bit by this rabid dog while trying to get the hair from it to, to like make this potion? Like it, it probably just made the, the matter so much worse. Right, exactly. And how many rabid dogs were there? My goodness. Well, I guess medieval times, they're all rabid, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're, Every they're dog all... had rabies then. Yikes. Yeah, that's interesting. I yeah, I've heard that being said, and uh, yeah, I I never knew what it meant. I just assumed it was like, oh, you know, in order to cure a hangover, you gotta drink something disgusting. Uh, so that's kind of always where I thought it came from. <laughs> I have I have a good friend from Australia who legitimately I I mean he stayed in Iowa City for with a good friend of ours for like two months, and so he was just like basically on vacation. So he was going out pretty constantly and would always go out with us every single day after he would go out he would wake up and immediately just open a Budweiser and he would just drink one like it wasn't like he was like starting the day to like he wasn't like all right I'm gonna get drinking again but he would like I have to have a beer after drinking and he swore that it was uh, a cure to feeling like not crappy but uh sounds awful to me that sounds terrible. I would never do. Are you kidding? That's the last thing I want to do. That's the absolute last thing. I don't like believe Budweiser. That. Like I like I couldn't every time it'd be like nine in the morning. Like that's why I can do like Bloody Mary. Like you know, hide the hide the booze from me after a, a long night of drinking and, and maybe do it that way. But like a, just an average beer. Ah, ugh, I don't know how he did it. Yeah, just drink a glass of water, you freak. <laughs> <laughs> those australians man they just nothing even bothers them they're they're in too good of moods i don't even believe they get hungover they just wake up and they're like well it's a date again mate <laughs> yeah <laughs> a beautiful day all right Jan, how we doing today doing well uh you know, we were just talking and I'll, I'll say this on the air too i just feel like you know the the year's gotten busier as the as it's gotten to the end here and uh, I've, I've been like sandwiching like weeks of working really hard in like days of sleeping all day. So like Monday was a sleep all day day because I wrote all Sunday night. And then like today is going to be a no sleep day. And I'm like just never going to get at all any sleep. And then uh, hopefully I get sleep tomorrow. We'll see. <laughs> the sleep cycle is completely off kilter now. I uh, yeah, I've been there. Certainly been there myself. Uh, I'm I'm doing well. It's a, a gorgeous doing? day. I'm doing well. It's a gorgeous day here in Iowa. Sun shining bright. It was like in the 50s. We have some new neighbors that moved in. I think that I think they have like three sons. And our, our, my street has been getting older. So like now we have. I think there's like another family too with some kids. So they were outside playing baseball, and I, it just got me pumped. Um, and you know, Iowa State moving up to number seven college football playoff rankings. Of course, the Hawkeyes, terrific performance last night against North Carolina. We'll we'll talk more college hoops later this week, but you know, just a stellar performance by our Hawkeyes. UNC's young; they're coming back from from a tough year, but year in and year out, Roy Williams is going to have one of the best front lines in college basketball. Even last year was a year five of the last six years, including last year, they were in the top ten in rebounding. So a big test for Garza. 
and and certainly struggled shooting the ball, but 16 points, 14 rebounds, seven defensive, seven offensive, and four blocks for him. And, you know, we talked about this really all offseason, certainly Hawkeyes fans. The question for this team, if they were going to be legitimate, was can the other guys step up when when Garza's getting hounded defensively or, or having, you know, not a perfect game? CJ Frederick had 21, Joe Wieskamp with 19, Jordan Bohannon leading the way with 24. Those three guys combined for 17 of 30 from three. The rest of the team was 0 for 10. Those three shot over 50%, just lights out. Terrific team effort and uh, and a great game for what was kind of the first real game for the Hawks after after some tune-up games. So I'm doing well considering that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, the little, the little coverage that that game has gotten is ridiculous. But also the little coverage that it has gotten, I've been able to, like, listen to what people are saying. And it's like some people just will look for anything to not give – like a traditionally non-basketball team, like the credit that they deserve. Like, you know what they were saying? They were like, yeah, well, when you go 17 from deep, like, you know, it's a good day at the market. And it's like, okay, so you can either have, you're either allowed to say, oh, you have this ridiculous player, or you're allowed to say you got a lucky game from three. You can't just go back and forth based on what happened for us that day. Right. Like, you know what happened? We took our shots and we won, even though Garza didn't score 20 points. That's all that you need to say. Like. Maybe maybe we made it lucky, but also we took those shots and like UNC came back and was leading. We could have lost at that point. I'm sure everybody thought we were going to lose at that point. But like, I just I hate that. You know, like at some point you're just a the, good the team. Like, not, yeah, exactly. At some point, there's always something to point to. You know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. That's like saying, oh, if this player hadn't been injured, and if that play had been caught, and if this person hadn't like caught this other like. I mean, my goodness, like how many things do we have to, you know, before we just yeah. say, the, I the guys are good. Well, like the ifs, the ifs or buts, like you can, you can do that about legitimately any game, any team. Like, yeah, if you want to look at it that way, then yeah, you can do that. Like, like I said, like the, the caveats, but the ranked third, they were supposed to win the game. They did. Like you, we talked about it earlier. UNC took a, I think the 68 to 67 lead, which I think was their second or third lead of the game. They only ever led by one point. And then we went on a 14-0 run. Like the, the Hawkeyes were the better team throughout the game. And and also, I, I have credit to Mr. Ryan Turner for pointing this out to me. The Tar Heels had played UNLV, Stanford, and Texas. We'd played some pretty low competition. Like we, we knew it. So it was a team that was in I mean, you know, not mid-season form, but a team that had played some legitimate competition more. So, like, they should be in better form for this game than we should. It's it's really the first real test. But, yeah, I mean, like, the Hawks are ranked third. I, I, it's, it's not like we went into third-ranked North Carolina and we were unranked and pulled out a, a crazy shooting game. Like, yeah, this was what this team could be, and they're showing it on the court. It's It's frustrating. And, you know, it reminds me of when you were talking about the Champions League. And they kept going back to Neymar and Paris. Like these national journalists who get paid thousands of dollars, how can you not create a better narrative than just going through like, oh, well, I guess we got to create the narrative around North Carolina because that's who the the narrative always is. We got to create the narrative about Neymar because he's the high profile. Like do your job, do a better job of like creating a narrative around a game and teams than just being like, well, this is the same old, same old. So good or bad, it has to be centered around this team or this player. It's so lazy. 
It is so it's so that's what it is, right? It's so lazy. And then the the market, you know why they do that? Because then there's the market that's created for the quote unquote upsets that happen. And it's like, oh my God, what a huge upset. And all of us are thinking they've been playing like shit for 10 games. Of course they lost. Are you kidding me? It doesn't make any sense that they would have won all these games. Yeah. Yeah, it just it just makes sense. And you know what they remind me of? It's like when people were talking about the heat early on in the playoffs, they're like, yeah, well, what happens when Jimmy Butler doesn't play well? Or like, yeah, what happens if Bam Adebayo doesn't get that block? Or it's like, yeah, what happens if Tyler Hero doesn't hit 13 threes? From the- at, at some point, where, when you do all those things, you're a good team. It's not lucky. You're just a good yeah, team. <laughs> for sure. Well, what happens if uh, Tom Brady isn't the greatest quarterback of all time and he's situated with maybe the greatest coach of all time? I I don't know what happens, but it happened. So, I like, what is the whole, like, just that sort of retrospectively, like, trying to pick holes in things that you might not have expected is just like, come on. Like, you might have just been wrong at first. Own up to it. Own up to being wrong. Like, there's nothing wrong with being wrong, but own up to it instead of being still trying to keep, like, that sort of, narrative of like oh well this was an outlier like nah it it wasn't right exactly and we don't do that with anything else in our lives so why do we do it so much with sports it's not like we constantly go huh well what if you know archduke ferdinand hadn't been assassinated we should go through that that would have well been different. i actually i actually do do that <laughs> especially that one <laughs> yeah, we, our, our world would look our world would look great but no i yeah, the point is or like you know like oh what if uh Leo DiCaprio wasn't in um, The Revenant with Tom Hardy. Would he have won the Oscar? I don't know. But they, yeah. like, they were. So what is what was the point of that discussion? Right, exactly. What if Leo DiCaprio wasn't an actor? Would he have won the Oscar? I, no, probably not. But like, why are we? But he did, and he is. So, come on. <laughs> it happened. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's just, like we said, it's just lazy. And we are, uh, we're used to it as, as Hawk fans a little bit. Uh, a little of bit. getting of getting uh, overlooked by some of the dude, especially now that I live in New York, and this is the last thing we'll, we'll like say on this subject, or else you and me, I think, will go on a tirade about it for hours. Is the East Coast bias is so true? I like I didn't really realize it. I think when I was growing up in Iowa and and moving to New York, it, it like I see it now more clearly. Of just like this is absurd the amount of bias that the East Coast has, like. And I get it. There's a lot of main journalists that are situated out there and like Sports Illustrated, and you know, it's all over there. But like, it's ridiculous. It, it shouldn't be a thing. All right, Jan, uh, before, you know, now now that we're all fired up, what what are you sipping on tonight, this evening? Uh, you got, I know, I know you got a busy schedule, so I hope you're enjoying a nice beer to, to relieve some of the stress. Right. Yeah. It's always, it's always an interesting balance when you are drinking beer to get things done. Cause you got, you can't drink too many cause you remember how awful this is, but, uh, but you can drink enough to like help the pain go away. So yeah. Um, yeah. But I am drinking an original sin black widow spite cider, which is, Ooh. uh, yeah, it looks really cool. Matt can see it. It's got like, That's a, really- it's a nice can. Right. And it says on the side, the last cider you'll ever love. And to that, I have to say, I've been burned before. So let's check this out. <laughs> All right. I'm ready to love again, though, as long as it's alcohol. Right. It's got a nice dark color. Let's check it out. Oh, that's oh, that's good. 
Oh my goodness. Oh, it's got like blackberries in it apparently and freshly pressed New York apples. This is actually New York beer. I did not know that. It is from, um, yeah, just from 10001. Where is that? Oh, I think that's, is that Rochester? Yeah, I think it's from Rochester. My Rochester? Rochester. Beautiful. Uh, well, it's a New York beer. Here you go. And uh, Black Widow Cider, I do recommend it. Nice. I wish I wish I could enjoy ciders. They um, it's it's uh, literally just a diabetic thing. Every time I have a cider, my the blood sugar goes skyrocketing up. Which uh, I had I, I, I danced the dance with like Angry Orchards like two or three times, and I was like, this is not worth it. Um, especially because like ciders, ciders are so they're so good. And now like like you were saying with that one with like, would you say blackberries was in it? We're in yeah. It. Like they're getting more creative and such. Uh, I just went with a, a classic Bush Light. In honor of, of the great day in the state of Iowa yesterday, I feel like Bush Light, Bush Light is the official beer of the state of Iowa. So I kept it casual and easy uh, and, and true to the Iowan roots with a, a Bush Light. Love that. We love it. I mean, I think we're every other week we drink in honor of the Hawks and you need to get you need to get used to that because we're two we're two Iowa boys who drink Iowa beer. <laughs> it's true. I, I love to uh, like, we go on this tirade of like, how dare you guys be East Coast biased? And bias towards North Carolina and Neymar, and like, also, um, we're going to talk about the Iowa Hawkeyes a crap ton. So, <laughs> the, hey, the you know apo- what? The hypocrisy are- is real. Hey, you know, eight, there are eight hundred podcasts that talk about New York sports. There can be one that talks about Iowa sports. Okay, thank I, you very I much. Agree. I yeah, agree. I'm, plus, we're not going to stop. So, too damn bad. Yeah, get. I mean, I don't want to say stop listening to us. I'm just saying you're going to be very disappointed if you hate what we're saying so far. <laughs> I, I wonder how many Iowa State fans we uh, we have that are really listening. Uh, to be fair, and like a bunch of Iowa State fans on Twitter now are like all like, "Wow, can't believe Hawkeye fans laughed at us for losing to Louisiana," which like at the time it was a bad loss. Like we didn't expect them to be nine and one ranked in the top twenty, but we gave Louisiana a lot of credit after that loss and and that win for Louisiana. So. Iowa State fans. Also, you didn't win the Big Twelve regular season championship. That doesn't exist. What do you think this is? Basketball? WHO, or the Channel 13 in Iowa, even was like, clone fans, how do you feel about winning the Big 12 regular season? I'm like, what? That They didn't. They, there's a, the 12 Big 12 championship game they have to win. Like, great yeah. job finishing first. I, I commend you, and it's been a, a terrific season. I hate Oklahoma, so I kind of hope you kick their ass. But let's hold off on the celebrations a, a little bit. Right, exactly. And also, like, let me just say, if you're a Big 12 champion caliber winner, you should have beat Louisiana to start out with. You know where you could be if you were undefeated right now? Like, you could be knocking on the damn doorstep. And so that loss actually still means a lot. So, like... Oh, they would absolutely... I mean, there's seven right now. Like, they could easily be... I I don't know if they... Like, they may still just be seven because of, you know, Florida and... Like, it seems like a tough six to break into, but... With a win with Oklahoma and, you know, Florida or Alabama is going to, like, probably lose. Like, well, I mean, probably one of them is going to lose. Like, there could have been an avenue for, for them to make it. but uh, At least a conversation. Yeah. yeah. Regardless, I, I, you know, congratulations to the Clones. Yeah, it has we're been, happy it has been a, great, a great football Absolutely. season. It's one of the weird – I told my dad, I was like, this is the weirdest year because I don't think I would ever would rather – I don't think I've ever more would rather play Iowa State as an Iowa fan in basketball than football. Like I, we're gonna destroy them in basketball, but I, 
I think the clones would probably beat us in football. I I hate saying that sentence, but I think it's true. Yeah, I'm just I'm afraid of what. Yeah, I'm just afraid of what that quarterback would do to us right now. We are our secondary. Sometimes they're good at turnovers, but they they can disappear sometimes. And I feel like he would he would he would rough us up a little bit. That's all. <laughs> or what our quarterback like. They would pack yeah. the box and be like, okay, Petrus, throw the ball on us because they got a really good defense. But, uh, you know, tip of the hat to, to Iowa State. We're still going to kick your ass on Friday. Jan, this is uh, another new segment that uh, we're starting in season three that I've referred to as there's a fly in my beer. Basically, it's there's a fly in my beer. Least, yeah, I, I thought that I w- was going to go with like, you know, somebody pissed in my Cheerios, but I. Too vulgar, just far, far too vulgar. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. And now, and now it's out there. It's too, too late. But um, you know, fly in the beer is more. Um, I don't think I've ever actually had a fly. It is. I'm going to get off topic. So, basically, <laughs> this is a moment for me to release the anger or frustration I'm feeling towards a particular sports subject. And Yannick, I think you're going to like this one a lot. And I'm excited to hear your thoughts after my little tirade. So here we go. I am so damn sick of people who have never watched a minute of soccer saying, what is this, soccer? When somebody flops in a basketball or football game. It is ignorance at the highest level and for a few reasons. First off, how many years have have people been using that crap line? It's been about a decade now, at least, which means that flopping is happening frequently enough in those sports that it's part of their game now. Like, for better or for worse, Football and basketball players are, are flopping and they're doing it like just as much. And like, it's clearly not just something that's happening in soccer. So to refer to it as just like, what is this soccer? Like if we're doing it that much, then clearly there's a lot of flopping. The NBA is fining players for flopping. It's happening enough. So it's clearly not just a soccer thing. Next, you can tell that the people that use the phrase have never watched soccer because They only see the egregious flops from like highlights. Like, yes, there are ridiculous flops in soccer. Absolutely. There's times where the guy is is doing something ridiculous. But any soccer fan knows that if someone like does truly flop, similar to the NBA, getting fined, a soccer player will get a yellow card for flopping. There's an actual punishment that is used far more than in the NBA or ever in football. Like football guys get away with it all the time. Soccer players, for the most part, if they're flopping, and it's as egregious as people think it is, will be getting a yellow card. They will be getting punished for the ridiculous flop. Secondly, when somebody's running at full speed and having to kick a ball, the slightest hit really can take you off balance and create a nasty-looking fall. Like The balance of soccer players is far more compromised than other sports because it's a sport where your feet are your main tools. So like a little knock is is going to affect you far more than if you're carrying a football or dribbling a basketball. And finally, flopping, and I put flopping this time in quotes, actually has a bit of a place in soccer strategy-wise. In a sport where play happens so quick on a massive pitch, I mean, soccer fields are huge, and the ball can go from here to there in an instant, and a, a foul can happen immediately. There are times where a player has to sell a foul a little more to make sure that they get the call. I would argue there's a difference between selling an actual foul and flopping. But if you can sell a foul and get yourself a free kick in a dangerous position or win a penalty kick, then you should bloody do it. Who gives a crap if someone thinks you're soft? You're trying to win the game, and goals win games. 
So can we please get this inaccurate phrase out of our vernacular and actually hold these basketball and football players accountable for their actions instead of just blaming it on soccer players because people are too ignorant to actually know anything about the game. All right, I'm done. Yannick, tell me your thoughts. Oh, Matthew, I loved every second of it. You're so right. And you know, as as a player, as a guy who's like grown up playing soccer, you have no idea how annoying it is to have heard that phrase so many times from people that have not watched one freaking second. Because here's an other, another thing. You made so many good points, right? Like, like I would I, I would love to see what hap- would happen to LeBron James if he was running full speed down a court and someone tripped him. Like, let's just like be completely yeah. honest. <laughs> he would go flying. He would break everything in his face, like on the court. So like it doesn't it, that's a great point to bring up. The other point I'm going to bring up is like what 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 people refer to as as flopping in soccer like that all happens after the foul. So basically it's what you were talking about with selling the foul. They actually get fouled usually and then make a little bit of a scene about it, right? That's what you have to say with selling the foul. In basketball, they are faking the actual contact. They are faking the actual that there was anything at all. Like Marcus Smart, love Marcus Smart to death, don't get me wrong, but he will have the slightest little touch of a shoulder on him and he'll go flying. Like that's what flopping Whoa, That is what flopping George. is. Like there you right like it's that's what it is like basketball players when they flop it's like they fake contact soccer players it's the flopping that actually happens except for the ones that get yellow cards obviously is less faked fouls and more you know kind of uh, like uh what is it called embellished fouls like the fouls have happened like but the ref is not going to call it unless you unless you show it like that's what it is you gotta help the ref out a little bit you gotta help the ref out, and with and and with VAR now, it, there's less flopping than ever because um, you're gonna show the ref what's gonna happen. You're gonna show the ref what's gonna happen, and then he can decide what you're doing afterwards, right? But like for basketball, basketball flops are some of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. So for basketball fans to say that is ridiculous to me. Like you have these big ass players, these six eight players who are absolutely made of muscle, and they get touched and they and they fall back as if it's nothing. Right. And it's just like, I don't why like that's a flop. Soccer players should say don't flop like you're in the NBA. That's what it should be. Honestly, like come there, on. Was, there was an Alabama player who like an LSU guy like kind of tipped him, hit him with his helmet, like little helmet, you know, basically just a little touch. And the Alabama player, I think it was an offensive lineman, collapsed to the ground. Like what? That's the softest thing I've ever heard of. Right, exactly. And, and like, yeah, that can happen in soccer at, at times too. But like, again, usually they get in trouble. Like, I I think soccer at least is aware of the, like the, the flopping and the, because like we said, selling the flowers, embellishing the foul is, is a part of it. So soccer is aware that like, yeah, we, we have to be cautious of flopping. We can't give fouls that aren't fouls. While the other sports, like I, the NBA even, and when what they've tried to do is, is, not they're not really that great at it and football i like the fact that there's flopping in football is ridiculous like it, it's a especially that sport where you're supposed to be tackling each other and being physical like soccer is there's a physical aspect to it but like it's not the physical game that football is right i yeah exactly i i i just don't like it all around also basketball fans will say that about a soccer play but at the same time some guy will go up for an and one make the point and throw himself on the ground or like scream like he's been shot in the in in the midst of shooting the screams of basketball players 
Right. And it's just like, so what is that? That's not something that we can make fun of. Like, my goodness, he'll go up, make the shot, but somehow it's like, oh, he's been stabbed in the side and now he's bleeding out on the court. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. What we need to is we need to acknowledge that, like, because sports have grown up in this arena where there is a person who can make mistakes making calls, like it's a part of every game. The only part that it's not a part of is hockey because they're often rewarded for fighting each other. Like that is literally that is literally the only sport that you can – if hockey players are like don't flop like a soccer, I take it. I take it absolutely because right. we're not beating each other up in the rank. Absolutely. Like I definitely understand it. And I'm like, yeah, you're tougher than I, – I get that for sure. 100%. Like <laughs> – that is not the but, argument uh, we would ever be making. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, so I, I just, it's funny, right? Because if it was coming, if it was coming from a different sport, I might be like, that's a little ignorant. But since it comes usually from basketball, I'm just like, you guys are the least contact sport ever. Like, why are you doing this? Like, you guys, you can't touch each other for shit. <laughs> and like, and even basketball, like I, I personally, like, like you said with Marcus Smart, like, like there, I think there is a difference between like total flopping and like the idea, like like the the crazy egregious flops that people randomly see on Sports Center, and it's the only soccer action they see. Yeah, we all hate that. There's a difference between that and kind of finding the gray areas in your sport, where, like you said, like there's human error with the ref. A veteran player is, is really good at positioning themselves. Like like you don't think Kobe or Michael Jordan or LeBron James are like hey, if I can take advantage of this kind of gray area here and, and get a foul call here or, or what have you, of course they're going to do it. And, and they should. It's about winning the game. Like as long as you're doing it in fair play, I think those gray areas in the sport is, is kind of just like showing like the veteran knowledge of, of the sport or knowing like just kind of how to like, all right, I, I can get a little leeway here. I can find a little gain here. Like that's there's there's some skill to that that I think it has a place in sports. Absolutely. It's the it's the equivalent of knowing that someone's it's the equivalent of like knowing someone's going to foul you and positioning yourself for them to foul you. Like it's the same thing. You did some of it, but like you know well enough, okay, this guy's coming from behind. I'm going to stand a little this way so that I get that foul. And that's not faking or cheating or anything. That's knowing what the player is going to do before he even does it. That's actually intelligence. And that's how you win games. I mean, you want to say what you can say about that Saints pass interference call or whatever, you know, and you can say what you want to say about all the pass interference calls in the world, but like players sell it or they don't sell it, you know? And like, sometimes then it's like, what are you going to do? You know, like we can see it in the replay, but we're not there at the game. It all looks the same to us. Dude, like even like Aaron Rodgers, like there's times where Aaron Rodgers will throw a pass to, to somebody that I, he knows in his head is not going to be completed. But he can tell that if he throws the ball to that guy right there, at that moment, the refs are probably going to call a penalty. Like, if, if he throws it then, it'll be P.I. Like, he, he has no intention of completing the pass. He has every intention of taking advantage of the penalty that will be called. That's smart. Like, that, that's, that's what you should be doing. A hundred percent. I mean – what Tom Brady, the problem with Tom Brady and Buck in, in Tampa Bay right now is that they're like, oh, he can throw the ball deep. We're just going to have him throw the ball deep. And they don't realize like half the deep balls that he threw in New England were to get P.I. calls. Like he had a fast rookie on the side. He threw it up to get a 40 yard P.I. call. He dinks and dunks the ball. That's what he does. That's his, that's the problem. It's like he's not actually a deep ball thrower. Like that's never who he's been. He had Randy Moss. That's the only reason that that happened. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's true. I uh, I 
I think it was like Kirk Herbstreit. There was somebody that said it the other day, and it just it. I mean, it always infuriates me. And, and like I said, the most thing that it makes me mad is is it always comes from people that have not watched a minute of soccer. Like, let alone do they not like know that much about the game. They legitimately have never watched it. So it's like get get your ignorance out of here. I, I had a feeling you were gonna you were gonna like that that one, and I knew you were gonna agree with me. I I would have been pretty shocked if you were like, nope, I can't can't see your point of view there, Matt. Yeah, soccer players are are foot fairies. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, now that my uh, anger has been released, um, considering concerning blaming all flopping on soccer, Jan, let's get over to uh, partner up. I'm gonna give a shout out for the week. Why don't you uh, tell the the fans and the folks out there who your shout out is this week? Right. Well, you know, I, I, I have a lot of things that could t- I say there, but since we talked talks already, I, I'm going to do kind of a non-sports play as my shout out. Uh, there was an incident that happened yesterday in the Champions League uh, where PSG and Istanbul were set to play a pretty, you know, important game <clears throat> in the in the last group stage match. Uh, there was an unfortunate situation where there was a uh, an alleged racial slur used against assistant coach Pierre Webo uh, for the PSG. And yeah, the game was they that both teams walked off uh, in resistance. They played today again, but it was definitely a really disappointing situation. So my shout out is to Demba Ba, who we know from a lot of different places. He played in the Premier League. He played in the Bundesliga. uh, And he was the player who, you know, not only went up to the ref and got mad at him, but when you heard his conversation with the referee about the situation, it was just so it was so intelligent and so the right conversation to have. Because he didn't say, like, fuck you for saying that. He didn't say, like, how could you fucking say that? He said, why, I get that maybe you didn't mean to use this word, but why would you point him out as a black man? You wouldn't say that about a white person. Do you see the issue here? That's why we're mad. And it was just so class and, like, such a hard thing to do as a black player, probably, instead of just getting pissed at him to, like, help him no, try to it's understand bo- the it's problem that they had happened. to do that. And I just think that's so much more of what we need in terms of these conversations, how to push the issue forward in the right way. No, it's, I, I'd say it's bullshit that Dimba Ba has to do that because Dimba Ba should have the ability, like facing racism like that, Dimba Ba and all those guys sh- should be able to just be like, you know what? Screw you, dude. Like, like you, the fact that, I mean, I, I 100% applaud Dimba Ba because you're right. He He was certainly passionate about what he was talking about he was certainly filled with emotions at that moment and still calmly was able to to describe what the issue was and the fact that he has to do that or is like restrained in that way because he because he knows if he goes and just gets angry that that nothing's going to get done unfortunately that there will only be backlash towards Dimba Ba like Dimba Ba and and uh, Pierre Weibo like they have to be perfect in that situation because otherwise, they're the ones that are going to face the backlash, which is bullcrap. Because the people that should be facing the backlash are, are the is the referee crew. Like the fact that those guys can't just be like, "Screw you!" This racial slurs, this this sort of thing has no place in our in our game and in our world today. Is just another point of of how far we have to go before we we really get anywhere close to equality, um, particularly in soccer. Um, but yeah, you you Dimbaba. I've always liked Dimba and, and certainly a ton of ton of respect for him yesterday. Um, and and I'll talk a little bit more about it when we get into Group H. But um, applaud applaud both those teams and um, and I, you know I think FIFA's handled it 
pretty better than they've handled some things at times. Um, my uh, my shout out. This is truly becoming a podcast where we just celebrate. I shouldn't even say we. I just celebrate the Hawkeyes as my last yeah. shout out was was for Caitlin Clark. But this episode, I, I, I had to give a shout out to to one of the all time great Iowans, just Iowans in general, Mister Dan Gable. Uh, this week, he became the first wrestler or wrestling coach to be awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, uh, and it's more than deserved. Let's go over a little of the accolades for Dan Gable. As a wrestler at Iowa State as a Cyclone, he compiled a 117-1 and record with two national championships, his only loss coming in his final match of his senior year, just missing out on that third national championship. After college, he competed in the 1971 Pan Am Games and the Wrestling World Championships, where he won a gold at each. And in 1972, he went to Munich to represent the United States in the Olympic Games, where he became an Olympic gold medalist. Such such an impressive career as a wrestler, and, and not a bad start to a resume, right? Well, Gable's legacy doesn't stop there. It, it only gets more impressive. He became the wrestling head coach at the University of Iowa in 1976, coaching the Hawkeyes for 21 years. During that span, Gable coached 152 All-Americans, 45 individual national champions, and eight Olympic medalists. And as a team, he led Iowa to 21 Big Ten Conference championships and 15 national titles. He won the Big Ten Conference every single year he was at the helm and won 15 of 21 national titles. 71% of the time that Dan Gable was coach of the Iowa Hawkeyes, they went on to win the national title. That's insane. I, I mean, I don't know of any college coach that has been that dominant. He, he's truly a legend in the sport, not only as a wrestler, but as a coach. Um, the, I mean, I, I would say the GOAT of wrestling, in my opinion. Uh, and and just here in the state of Iowa, an absolute legend is being, you know, being a wrestler at Iowa State and then coaching the Hawkeyes. Uh, you won't find a, a Cyclone or a Hawkeye who doesn't absolutely adore the man. So congratulations to an all-time great Dan Gable on being awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I just think, yeah, like, all jokes aside, like, I know we talk a lot about Iowa sports here, and it seems like, oh, man, like, we think everything Hawkeyes is so great. But if you ever want to, like, have some real respect for the teams we're talking about. Look up Iowa wrestling, like the history of Iowa wrestling. I know that people don't know it because you have to really like wrestling to understand the dynamics of college wrestling. But I, I just don't know a dominance like it in any sport, in any sport ever. I mean, it's just truly it's insane. Remarkable. It's remarkable. And Dan Gable is a big part of that. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, I, yeah, just respect the man so much, like a, a, a competitor in every sense of the word. And, you know, I, I know there's some people that have said like some stuff about like who's awarding the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And I think that's an absolute disgrace to the person who's receiving it. You know, like I agree that there's been some, you know, some people in the past that have received it from a certain president. But this isn't the one that you have to worry about. This one is fully deserved. Uh, and I'm just very happy for him. It's everything that he deserves as as a as a face of, of, of the sports in Iowa and also just the state of Iowa as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. I, I don't think, I don't think anyone would uh, be hard to guess that, that we aren't the biggest of fans of the guy who, who gave him the award. But I think to make that, you know, the storyline there is, it really does just do a, a disservice to, to Gable. And I, personally, I think there's 
an easy way to to you know separate those two things. I, I think it can well, be mutually easy. exclusive that that he can be awarded this thing, like and deserve it. Whether like depending on if you like the guy that's giving him the award or not, I think it's pretty clear the guy deserves it. I also love that like apparently Trump was like, "I'm a pretty big guy. I, I could beat you." And then just classic wrestler. Or I don't think he didn't say I could beat you. He said, "Do you think I could beat you?" And in classic wrestler fashion, apparently Gable just like stone face is just like not a chance, <laughs> which is just the most wrestler thing ever. Just be like, no, dude, I'm going to kick your ass. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you brought up Iowa Hawkeyes and Iowa State's had a great uh, program. Northern Iowa actually has a really great program as well. But the state of high school wrestling in the state of Iowa is it's Texas football. It's Indiana basketball. It's it is religion here in a lot of places. And it produces some of the best wrestlers year in and year out. Um, so, yeah, congratulations to Dan Gable and, um, you know, a nod to wrestlers everywhere. Just, just poor, I wasn't tough enough to do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, same. My ears are weird and people think I wrestle sometimes and I'm like, <laughs> that's so funny. You do, have a, you do have a good frame for a wrestler. Yeah, all my all my cousins were uh, were wrestlers and I played I only played like a year of basketball in, in high school because I just wasn't that good. But um, I remember like knowing that I always wanted to do basketball over wrestling because like it would be Thanksgiving and I'd have a plate full of food and my cousins, Toby and Joey and Tony were, had like half a glass of water. I was just like, I don't think that's the sport for me. I, I'm, I'm not as, uh, as committed and driven as you guys are. So, and they were all great wrestlers too. Uh, they, they kicked my ass on, on my grandma's floor more than one time. There you go. Yeah. I knew I wanted to be a soccer player when I realized I just got to eat pasta all the time. <laughs> that was it. I was like, I love pasta. Get me, just, you'll get be, me, you'll be running up. a ton so you can just eat. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. That's what I do now, too. So there we go. Who can argue with pasta? All right, Yana, let's get to the wind sprints. Quick cover of, of some of the big news from the sports world. First place I'm stopping is the NBA. Giannis Antetokounmpo last week said that he wouldn't really wouldn't mind being the second option of a team, uh, being a kind of second fiddle. What are your your thoughts and reactions to, to Giannis saying that? I mean, it goes along with what he said, or something else he said recently, which is like he's not thinking about like, you know, what the Bucks are going to be. You know, he's focusing on himself. It's all the wrong signs for Milwaukee, you know, because you know what happened? Milwaukee made kind of one move where they got him Drew Holiday and they're like, that's enough, right? And Giannis is basically like, um, no. Why Not would that sure. be Not sure. I mean, look at all these players being moved. You know, Russell and James Harden wants to go, and John Wall left, and and you know, and and we why you know, like I don't know if he's gonna leave necessarily, you know, but I wouldn't be happy about it. I think I think he's made his decision in terms of like his future is not in Milwaukee. I don't know if he leaves this this season, but I I have been so convinced of him being loyal to that that organization. And, you know, I didn't know that 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 move to get Drew Holiday kind of happened before some of the other big moves happened. So I thought, uh, maybe. But the fact that he's talking as the MVP about being a second fiddle, that's basically saying I would rather go anywhere else, even if it meant I got the ball less than be here. Like that's what it's saying. And so I think I think it spells bad news for Milwaukee. 
See, I didn't, I didn't take that from it as much um, as much as, as Giannis. I kind of thought it was more because I think Giannis really does like Milwaukee. And, and we've talked about it before where he isn't really swayed by the media like most American-born athletes are. Like he, he just not growing up in that culture. Like he doesn't care. He doesn't care about being in a big market. He doesn't really care about like being the guy. So I, I took it more as as him being like, hey, if you're a good player, like, I'm down to do this thing with with whoever. Um, I, I I don't. I'm not saying it meant he's not gonna leave Milwaukee. Um, and I think the probably the problem there is even with Giannis, is Milwaukee the you know destination that other free agents and such want to go to? Who knows? Um, but I, I mostly too. I like was just like the people being like, oh, like what? Why is he like that? Where I'm like, like who who cares? Like. I don't think Giannis cares about about his narrative. I don't think Giannis cares about like becoming the greatest player of all time. Giannis just wants to win a championship, and so I think like for that, what I took it more was like kind of him trying to recruit people, but also like I think he is open to leaving, but mostly like just kind of showing the humility of like, hey, I I care about winning. I, I don't. The MVPs are fine. This is fine, but like I want to win, and I think that humility is going to lead Giannis to, to being an NBA championship soon and champion soon enough. I don't know if it is in Milwaukee. I mean, this is the best the Bucks have been since Lou Alcindor and Oscar Robertson played for him. So it's not a team that really has a lot of, you know, history and, and it's not, you know, a market that gets a lot. So we'll see if, if even that comment gets people there. Um, but I think it like the backlash that he's gotten on it. I was like, that, that's stupid. Like who cares? Like, wouldn't you rather want a guy that's like, hey, I want to win, not, hey, I want to be the best player on the team? Right. I, I agree. I, I, while I think that maybe it spells a little more worry for Milwaukee than maybe you do, I, I definitely agree that any backlash he's getting from basically not – because that's what it is. We've talked about this before. Like players, they are themselves. They are their own representatives. You know, they don't have to – you know, like – I, I'm sick of players being like judged for like not making all or nothing statements every single time they go up to the podium. It's like they either have to say I'm all in or I'm all out. Otherwise, we're like, well, why is he being clear? And it's like, um, he doesn't have to be clear. Are you clear in everything that you say? No, he's just like he's talking as he is. You know, if it, it's a lie otherwise, because he doesn't you know what the the truth is, probably he doesn't know. And he, you're right. He probably doesn't care. And so like. He's just trying to focus on himself and that's what he's got to do. And I agree. He's got the kind of personality and like the kind of confidence, you know, in himself rather than like listening to the media where I don't think he's going to, you know, be, you know, ousted by whatever, you know, their focus on him is going to be in the next couple of years. And I agree. He's going to win a championship. I don't know where, you know, and I agree, like, is Milwaukee the market? Uh, you said that. And I was like, oh, my God, was he like, I'll play second fiddle to James Harden? James Harden come to Milwaukee? <laughs> but uh yeah yeah I mean, I mean i'm sure he would love to get james Harden. and that's why like i mean i'm sure he would have loved to get russell westbrook but you only have the the trade the trade capable capital that you have and um I, I you know i the bucks have have looked poor in the playoffs but drew holiday is quite an upgrade from eric bledsoe like i I'm interested up. to see. What, I'm interested. I'm interested to see what the Bucks do this year, and I and I'm, I'm not sure the Bucks are done making moves. Like the trade deadline certainly isn't uh, around the corner. There's there's still time for them to I think 
get another player, get get someone else that's that's more like we talked about earlier because uh, they're not going to get Bogdanovich now. Instead of having you know ten deep, twelve deep rotation, it's more of an eight deep where all eight are actually contributing instead of last year when a lot of the guys that contributed in the regular season just disappeared in the playoffs. Right, exactly. And I also think like they have a lot of focus on them because they were the one seed that went out. And I like, I do get that. But like, you have to ask your questions about other teams. Like, you know, why aren't we asking questions like the Celtics, for example, they showed that like they need their players to take another step up to be there. Right. And so are they going to make that step up? The Heat, can they repeat the now that everybody knows who the Heat is, can they repeat their performances? Is is effort enough? That's another question that needs to be answered. The Nets look really great with Kyrie and KD. How does Ky- KD look like when he comes back? How is Steve Nash as a coach? There's a bunch of questions in the East. We're just focusing on the Bucks because they were the one seed that went out and now everybody's like, ah. So I, I, I do I do agree that it's a little unfair. And you're right, Drew Holiday to Drew. Eric Bledsoe to Drew Holiday is a crazy change. Like it is. Eric Bledsoe is a, it's because Eric Bledsoe used to be a good point guard. So everybody's like, oh, Eric Bledsoe is like Eric Bledsoe hasn't been good for a decade. Like let's just be like he, he was good for one year. I don't, think, I don't even think Eric Bledsoe's been in the league for a decade, but you're right. I I get like, yeah. No, it's true. He he got to Milwaukee and was like Oh, I think I forgot how to play basketball or shoot the ball. Like, and he's never really been a great shooter. Where I think Holiday's a better shooter. Holiday's an extremely underrated de- defensive player. It, I think your point is made. Where is Drew Holiday the piece that changes everything for Milwaukee? I don't know if he's that much of a you know a change. But um, yeah, it's, I, I think you're you're very right. Where it's it's not like I still kind of think Milwaukee's the. The most sure thing. I don't. I don't know if they're the favorite in the East, but I, I think they're probably the most sure thing right now in the East because we know that just even having Giannis, having the two-time defending MVP, is is a pretty good thing to bank on. But uh, we'll see. Can't wait for the NBA to get started. Next story, Jan, is uh, I think a fun one. Possibility of numerous outdoor games in the NHL this season. I personally love this idea. First off, I think it's a creative way to, to get fans into the stands in a safer environment. Um, and secondly, I love the Winter Classic. Like I, I think just watching it even on TV, you can tell there's like this different excite, exciting energy that the game has to it. So I, I think it's a terrific idea of, of being able to, you know, and hopefully there's so many COVID things that will depend on, on how things play, but permitting it, it's going to be you know a kind of a safer way to get fans in the stands and after the tough year in sports like just kind of a some more fun games to to celebrate the the league and 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 i so i absolutely love it i know logistics wise it can be a little tough but i hope they do it and i hope to get to an outdoor nhl game someday because i think they're just i think it's one of the best things that the nhl does Right. And it's funny that people, not everybody's sold on it because it's like, oh, so the NFL can play games in England to like increase their publicity, but like the NHL can't play a game outdoors without getting flack. Like, come on, it's ridiculous. It's they're changing like indoor outdoor. It's not a big change. Why shouldn't they do it? It's so much fun to watch. The Bruins are always a part of those, uh, you know, those outdoor games every every other year. And, And I've always loved watching them even on TV. You're right. I would love to see an outdoor NHL game and and provided that it's safe to happen, you know, I I I think it's just the kind of change up that a sport like hockey needs that's been kind of similar for years and years and years uh in order to, you know, just kind of switch things up. 
So I agree. I there's no reason for me. It's like I like the idea personally, but also it's like why? What? Like what's the problem? Like why are you yeah, guys? That's how I felt. Like like people that had like an issue with and like I mean I I can't speak for a hockey player and and maybe you know there's NHL players that have a lot of legitimate reasons why they wouldn't want to do it and then I would probably be you know shut up. But most of the like people that seem to be against it, I like they didn't. I, they didn't really have that great of a reason. And like, I, I agree. It was just like, wh- why, who, like it same, seems fun to me. Like it seems like a great idea. Right. It's like the same people in soccer who are like, no, there can't be five substitutes. It has to be three. And it's like, why, why would, the, what's the difference? I'm sorry. Yeah. Why it's better for everybody. Why are we, why are we complaining? <laughs> right. Like, it, I mean, I understand some of these rules and like, soccer goes but like even soccer is like it's not even 150 years old like the game is so i don't know why we think there's like these rules that are like go back archaically that we have to stay in you know true to which segues me perfectly to the big 10 officially getting rid of the six game necessary rule so that uh, to uh make the title game so the big 10 title game is now set it will be ohio state against northwestern thoughts on the decision by by the big 10 Jan? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> here's the thing. I don't have a problem with the with. I mean, in this year, I don't really have a problem with many decisions that are made in terms of like letting things slide. And you know, it's clear that with the season that's been going on and with how everything's shaping out, that the Big Ten's priority is to get Ohio State in the top four. Like that's what they want to do, and it's like what they should do for their conference. It's the best for their conference, and no other team in the Big Ten is like that's not fair. Every other team in the Big Ten is probably like, yeah. We want a Big Ten team in there. We know it's not going to be any of the other ones. So, like, just fucking get him in there. You know, give him the chance to get it in there. You know, if they lose the Big Ten championship game, then they don't get in there. Fine. But, like, at least let them have a chance to get in there. Uh, I just think the Big Ten's getting a little bit of slack because of the flip-flop that happened earlier, which they were like, oh, we're not going to have the season. We are going to. And I get that, you know, because you're like, oh, are you just going to be willy-nilly doing whatever you want? But at the same time, it's like, in this season? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly yes we are we're gonna cancel games and 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 postpone games and play games with eight play and 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 what's his name from the denver practice squad is gonna go in at quarterback yes we're gonna do all those things because we have to <laughs> yeah i like in this year we we have to be flexible with with everything like like yeah did, did kevin warren need to say the big 10 wasn't having football as early as he did probably not but like I even then was like, why, why do you guys care that he changed his mind? Like, first, you're all mad that he did it, and now he's saying we're going to have football, and you're still pissed off. Like, I, it seems like a stupid thing to be upset about. Like, it, it's, this is the most fluid sports year we've ever seen. And, like, there's constant cancellations. There's constant reschedulings from the NFL to college basketball to, to literally every single sport has been affected by this thing. And to, like, not allow that fluidity of just being like, all right, this, this is how we're going to navigate it. It's just stupid. Like that, we can't act like everything's normal and like willy dilly. Like even the whole like I saw. I mean, this isn't really a, a, a burn on Coastal Carolina, but I think you saw the interview last night with Scott Van Pelt, where the guy's like, "Well, we've played ten games. Ohio State's only played five. Okay. I, do, does anyone really not think Ohio State's one of the top four teams? Like, I get it. Like, yeah, okay, Alabama's played a few more games, but like. Yeah, that was what this year was always going to be. Like we we couldn't have thought like this was going to be a year where everything went like perfectly and things were going to be normal. It was it was never going to be that way. So 
not having some like flexibility with everything just seems idiotic. Like two to three months ago, we didn't know we were going to be playing football. I don't even know why they had the six game rule in the first place. It seems like a pretty silly rule. So maybe, maybe that's again, part of it where it's like, why did you guys do it in the first place? That makes it odd. But like, who cares? Like, Pull your head out of your ass. Look at the landscape of, of not only sports, but the world right now and understand that there's going to be changes daily to literally everything. Right, exactly. And also, <clears throat> as I was watching, you're right, I did watch that interview last night. And as I was listening to that, I was like, okay, how about this is the rule? You have to play Ohio State and then you can go to the top four. Let's see how that game goes out. Let's see how you play them. Because Which even, but even rocked. But even for that one, and like people are you know, are saying like Texas A and M and Ohio State should play this weekend, and then the Ohio State will earn it. I, yeah, you can make that argument, but there's no win for Ohio State there. Like, why would Ohio State want to play Texas A and M or Coastal Carolina? They don't win that. Like, they're they're doing what they can do. They're playing the season that has been presented to them. If they go in and win that game, they don't gain anything. But if they lose, they lose everything. So like. There, you have, there has to be like also those things to think of. Like I thought Scott Van Pelt made a great I like point yesterday if, he's, if he was just like, no, nah, Maryland shouldn't have to bend over backwards to play Ohio State. That's not on them. And I don't think it's on Ohio State to help out Texas A&M or Coastal Carolina. Why would they? Right, exactly. And it's also like if you're going to make all those points about like, well, what if this team? Well, what if this team? Because you have eight good teams, then just scratch the playoff format altogether, make it a quarterfinals, rank Ohio State eighth and go for it. If that's what you really want to do, then do that. But if it's but we are where we are. And you know what? Texas A&M, you're right. Maybe if they played Ohio State, they would beat them. And maybe that would put them in the top four. But that's too many maybes to deal with. They're going to be put in the Big Ten championship game against another good Big Ten team. They're going to beat them. And let's be completely honest. Let's be completely honest because this isn't unfair to them. Like, there are good teams left out of the college playoffs every single year. Every Every single year. Every year, there are good teams that probably could have gone farther than the four team. The five team could have gone farther, and they didn't get the chance to, right? So it's just it's it's an unlucky draw of the hand, and you can have the ifs and the buts and the whens. But answer me this, Matt: Is Texas A and M undefeated? I was just li- yeah, I was literally just about to say that Texas A and M. You want to you want to make you want to be in the college football playoff? Beat Alabama. I know it's right, easier said. Exactly. I know it's easier said than done, but. Is it? I mean, the, the path is right there. You beat Alabama, you're under you're one, number one right now. Like they, they you had the, the chance. It's not like like Coastal Carolina has more of a, a gripe to to argue than Texas AM because there's no chance Coastal Carolina, there's nothing Coastal Carolina can do to make the college football playoff. Texas AM beats Alabama, they're in the college football playoff right now. Right. It's that easy. It's literally that easy. And you know what? Florida will have the same chance. And then they will also shut up if they don't get it. And that's just like what it is. And it's like you're right. If Ohio State was in the SEC, maybe things would be different. But Ohio is not in the SEC. So let's yeah. all just be quiet. <laughs> That's, that is one of my things. of just like, well, like this team maybe should have made it. And this team should have made, maybe made it. I'm like, then, then let's just get rid of the conferences. Because why do we even have the conference? Like, the, the path is there. Go win your conference and you'll probably make it. It, it, it's not that complicated. It happens in every sport too, right? It happens in every sport. And this is where I'll give the NFC East a little credit as much as we've hated on them this entire time. Like everybody's saying the NFC East should give up their spot and like another team should be put in. It's like, look at them now. The Giants just beat the Seahawks. The Giants defense looks good because that's what happens. It's like, 
The team that beats out three other teams in any division deserves to have a spot at the table because that's just the rules. If they get schlacked in the playoffs because they don't deserve to be there, if Ohio State makes the four seed and gets humiliated by Alabama, then they get humiliated. And you're right. And then they're out. And that's it. And then they don't win. Yeah, it's not going to be that easy. Like, and, and like, I even like the idea, like some people are like, oh, we need to, I mean, I agree with you this year we're a quarterfinal and and actually I I would love a quarterfinals. Like I'd love an 18 playoff just because it'd be, it'd be fun, but it kind of is already naturally there. What, what is Florida, Alabama? That's a quarterfinal matchup. Texas or Clemson and, and Notre and Dame could even be kind of be considered the same thing. Although if Clemson wins, I think that they're both in, but like the way it's set up with these championship games, like. There already is a lot of natural quarterfinals where teams can will be playing for like the year Iowa played Michigan State. Whoever won that game was going to go to the college football playoff. Like it, it's already kind of naturally built into the season where it's like, do you really have that much of a gripe to pick if you didn't get it done? And like, like you said, sorry that the SEC is tougher, but that that's just where we are right now. You also make more money. There's a reason. There's a reason Texas A&M went to the SEC. They wanted more money. But now you got to pay the piper of dealing with tougher opponents than the Big 12. Right. That's like saying, oh, you know what? Bayern Munich didn't deserve to win the Champions League because they just had to play in the Bundesliga and they were going to win anyway because that's a weak league. And it's like, yeah, they still went into the Champions League and beat every other team. So, like, you can say all you want. But like at the at, at the end of the day, all that matters is your performance with a couple different caveats. Right. Like we talked. Coastal Carolina, BYU, we're never going to make the top four. And and there is something to be said about that. They need to make their schedule harder then. They need to maybe look for some of those games where they can play those top teams. Fine. But like, other than that, every team has an opportunity to. Every single team has an opportunity to. And every single team that's looked good, that hasn't been legit, has lost. Right? That's just like what it is. And Texas A&M had the chance, they lost. Florida had the chance, they are now, they have another chance kind of, but they could be just up there if they hadn't lost too. So it's just like, at the end of the day, if you win all of your games, then you have nothing to worry about. That is it. Man, could you imagine? I mean, if Florida wins, if Florida beats Alabama in general and, and Clemson beats Notre Dame, there's it's going to be an interesting what happens there with the top four. Um, but man, if it was if Florida had beaten A&M and you have two, those two undefeated, like, ooh, there would be some chaos. But yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, but at the end of the day, like, it's like you say, like, you can feel like you're you're shorted, but you win your games, you're not going to be shorted. Like there really, there's never been that I know a Power uh, Five conference team that was undefeated and left out of the college football playoff. It it hasn't happened. Exactly, and it and it never will because the conference they might make some decisions that make you upset in terms of like placing two versus three or three versus four, but they never, an undefeated team doesn't slip into the five seed unless they're outside of the power five. That's it because they have played the games they need to play. They've beaten the teams they need to beat. And, and there's always teams that have everything to say because they want to be the four seed. And it's, you're like, you know what, Texas A&M, you could have been the one seed. You really could have. So like you, you built, you made your own bed. Now someone else is going to lay in it. Like that's what it is. So if someone else shits the bed, you get to play. Congratulations. Good for you. But you just barely get to play. So like, are you really that, you know, how excited are we about that, that you barely made it? You know, you had the chance to actually like, you know, and like, you're not Ohio State. You think you're going to beat Justin Fields? Come on, get out of my head about that. Jesus. Yeah, it's... 
I completely agree, but uh, we we definitely are all in agreement, or at least you and me are in agreement that it was the right move by the Big Ten. And um, I, you know, I, as a college football fan, how can you not want Ohio State there? Like, I, Justin Fields is so much fun to watch, and and you can you can we can talk about schedule and blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, there 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 is something to be said for the eye test, and I think the top four teams have all more more than passed that test. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, we've seen the playoffs that have happened so far that have had some rules changed. And all the teams that have won so far have all been deserving. All of them. The Dodgers deserve to win. The Lakers deserve to win. Byron deserve to win. Like, I can't think of one championship where it was like, that winner, mm, I don't know about them. They shouldn't have even been in the conversation. No. Like, you had different things happen here and there. But at the end of the day, winners go to the finals and winners win championships. And that's just it. That's just it. Amen. All right, Jan, let's move over to the uh, the aperitif of our episode here. Talk about some of the other major storylines and, and happenings in the world of sports. Why don't you start us off the uh, MLS Cup this Saturday, Columbus Crew, Seattle Sounders. Give us a little bit of a, a preview and uh, who you think you're, who, who you think's going to win. Right. Well, <clears throat> Matthew, I was going in the conference finals of the MLS thinking – Wow, we got two Cinderella stories here. You know, you got you got eighth seed New England Revolution making it all the way to the conference final, and you got the Minnesota United FC, the Loons. You know, they were the fourth seed, but you know they're also still a pretty new franchise, and great for them to make the conference finals. And both teams were looking pretty good, so we we were hoping, you know, one of them. Wow, oh, we were hoping the MLS would make the MLS Cup, and it and it just didn't happen let me let me let me uh let me tell you how those tales came to an end so the columbus crew played the new england revolution the columbus crew uh the three seed uh but obviously a much better three seed than um than other three seeds would have been um they win one zero they win really quick you know our tour struck on the hour mark and it was enough to see them into the finals uh the crew come into the uh mls cup finals with that win over the revolution uh they needed an overtime 2-0 victory to beat Nashville in the quarterfinals. Nashville, their first ever uh, appearance in the MLS Cup. So that's kind of, a, you know, a worrisome thing. And then in the round of 16, uh, they only won 3-2 against the Red Bulls. And the Red Bulls are good, don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, those are three close wins. A 1-0, an overtime win, and a 3-2 victory against the Red Bulls. Uh, so, you know... But they're in the MLS Cup Finals. You know, what are you going to say? They are there. And we just talked about when you win, you win. And when you lose, you lose. And they are the winners right now. Uh, and, you know, they got the players that they deserve to be there. They're absolutely stacked on offense <clears throat> and in the midfield. They've got U.S. striker Jazzy Zardes kind of leading the front. They got Pedro Santos up there as well. Darlington Nagby, another U.S. men's international. And Artur, the scorer of the winner uh, against the Revolution. And, uh, yeah, they find themselves in the MLS Cup final against the Seattle Sounders. This game was crazy. I mean, Minnesota United was up 2-0 until the 75th minute. Uh, they were up because their star so man, painful. Emmanuel Reynoso. Uh, so painful. Uh, Emmanuel Reynoso scored one and assisted Debassi from a set piece for the second. It looked like the champions, the Sounders, were going out. The Minnesota United would have a famous MLS Cup appearance. but. Will Bruin, the famous striker, I think he's got like one goal off the record. I think maybe he might actually be tied after this game. Um, 
brought on as a substitute, and he scores almost immediately. He scores, and the tide is shifted. And uh, Rui Diaz tied it up in the 89th, and then a header by substitute Gustav Svensson uh, in the 93rd minute for the win. Uh, just heartbreaking to watch. You said it. I mean, Minnesota United collapsed after the first goal. It, it looked like they thought if they had conceded one, they were out. And I don't think they did. That's what they. That's what happens with a new team, though. You know, when you're not used to being there, you're you're kind of riding on on the uh, flow of the game. So as soon as it seems like it's going against you, I think that hits players that are not used to it. Whereas the Sounders are used to being there. They are they are the MLS Cup team. So you know they are used to the adversity and they're used to the the, the challenge. So I think that's what helped them in this one. Uh, Sounders have been performing pretty well. They only beat Dallas 1-0 in the quarterfinals. But in the round of 16, they beat LAFC 3-1. You know, LAFC not having Diego Rossi, but they did have Carlos Vela. So, like, they they did play a good team to start off the playoffs. Uh, and they also have a stacked offense in midfield. I mean, you have Raul Rui Diaz, Jordan Morris, Nicholas Ladero, Joven Jones, Will Bruin, and Gustav Svensson, like I talked about, coming off the bench as top scorers as well. Uh, so this game... As much as it seems boring uh, for us because we wanted the other teams to be in, uh, it's actually a pretty high-powered offensive clash. You know, you got Jazzy Zardes and Raul Ruiz Diaz with the joint top scores of the MLS Cup season. And Nicholas Ladero and Jordan Morris uh, both had eight assists on the season. And then the Cruz, Pedro Santos had seven. So you got players that have been up there all season in the stat sheet. Uh, and they've everybody's been having their shooting boots on in the playoffs as well. Pedro Santos and Jazzy Sardes for the Columbus crew both have two goals in the knockout stages. Raul Diaz has two, and Morris and Ladero each have one for the Sounders. In my opinion, you know, just with the crew kind of squeaking by everybody in the playoffs and, and just their talent that they have, I think the Sounders are just more talented, and they showed they, they can win in any situation in the semifinal clash. Uh, so I think they're just gonna, really going to be hard to beat. Uh, as seen with the comeback in the semifinals. So I think they win in a 3-1 battle. They repeat as champions. I believe it's the first time an MLS Cup champion has repeated since 2012. And uh, yeah, I think it's another Seattle Sounders year as much as that. <laughs> that's boring. <laughs> it, dude, it does, it does sound boring, which is kind of insane because the Sounders have only been in the league for 13 years. They've only, I mean, founded in 2007, Crew, one of the original MLS teams, one of the one of the, I mean, you know, the MLS in general doesn't get much of a, a, a due service, but ha- even MLS wise, I think it, the Crew are, are one of those strong clubs that really gets overlooked a lot. They've been they've been just a consistently strong team for so many years. When you watch Zardes with the Crew, like I think he always looks pretty disappointing for the United States. But when you watch him with the Crew, you're like, oh, okay, so that's. That's why you keep getting these chances on the international level. Like you, you do have a lot of ability. Um, meanwhile, you know, I already mentioned the Sounders, only 13 years old, but since since they were created, since they were founded, honestly, one of the best American sports franchises over the last 13 years. Like they, they are just consistently good. They got an, an unbelievable fan base, probably the best fan base. Although Portland will probably bite me on that in the MLS. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I'm rooting for Columbus, but it, it's tough to go against the defending champs and, and just all, I mean, the amount of guys that you, you listed off that, that impact that team, um, and, and can make a play. And then they're, and they're just, they're just a good club. They're just a good team. Um, and so I agree with you. I, th- I think the Sounders are going to pull it out again and, and win. I believe their third MLS cup overall, which not bad. Three, three championships in 13 years is, is pretty good. 
Yeah, that's pretty good. I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) I would certainly take it. Uh, All right, I'm going to take us over to Formula One. Jan, it's been a wild few weeks in in Formula One. In in, in a season that really, you know, has gone pretty smoothly, COVID-wise. Three races back at the Turkish Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton making some history. He won, won in Turkey and secured the Drivers' Championship for this year. It's his fourth straight and seventh overall tying Michael Schumacher for the most all time. Uh, really, I, I mean, he really is just the most dominant athlete in their sport right now uh, and an incredible accomplishment. A guy who, who I think he won his first championship in like 2011 and then, you know, has now reached a, a new level of dominance that is just, it's extremely impressive. Um, and next, they uh, two weeks ago, Formula One made their way to Byran, where I have to give a little shout out to one of my oldest, dearest friends, Brad Shaleen, currently deployed there. So we love you, Bradley. Proud of you. Stay safe. Uh, the races in Byran, full of drama. The uh, Byran Grand Prix was won by Hamilton, but the the storyline was really an intense accident that involved uh, Haas Ferrari driver Roman Grosjean. Uh, Grosjean suffered a, a second degree burn to his hands. It was honestly like the first bad accident that I'd ever seen live in Formula One. I turned the, the race on like right before the the accident happened, and it it, it really is scary stuff. But um, applaud the the safety crew at the race, and, and Grosjean has been in good spirits since the accident. He he seems you know those guys they it's a sport you like they they really do you know kind of they know the risks of of stepping in into those vehicles and the speeds and such that they're going out and. Uh, he even said in an interview this week that kind of, I think he was in the cart for 18 to like 20 to like 30 seconds. And he said while he was sitting there and, and kind of engulfed in the flames, he had kind of come to peace with, um, you know, passing on, which is, uh, it's a crazy, crazy aspect of like, like no other sport is, is that a thing? Like LeBron James would never be like, oh, and then I was going to die after that uh, dunk and I had to come to peace with it. But uh, Grosjean's doing well, and uh, which is obviously terrific to hear. So we wish him the absolute best in his recovery. And, uh, you know, now on to a little more fun drama as opposed to that one. The Sakir Grand Prix won by Sergio Perez, the, the first win for the Mexican racer after 190 starts. That's a record in Formula One. Nobody's ever gotten their first win after so many starts. So congratulations to Perez. But the race was marred by a, by a little drama with Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton was out this week due to a positive COVID test, which meant that the young George Russell would be racing for Mercedes. Russell led, honestly, most of the race and, and looked like, I mean, if you watched half that race and, and turned the TV off, I think you would have thought, yeah, George Russell is going to go and get his first career Formula One win. But uh, the crew apparently put on the wrong tires. Uh, and because of the necessary pits after that, he ended up finishing ninth. Many are speculating that the mistake was on purpose. Uh, and, and the reasoning behind that was because if Russell had won, it would sort of take away from the success that, that Lewis Hamilton has had and give it more credit to the car than the driver. Um, I, I got to be honest, it's hard for me not to see some truth in that. Um, but quite frankly, I, and again, this is a sport that, I'm still learning about and, and kind of getting to know, but I don't, I don't see what the, what the issue is from Mercedes perspective. Like, don't you want to have the fastest car? Like, isn't being able to make the fastest car and have that be one of your like weapons, a pretty 
integral part of the game. Like you, you want to have the fastest car. Like I get like there is some skill to the drivers and, and everything, but I think there's also a skill. Like It's almost equivalent to like coaching of like, there's some skill in building a car that's going to be the fastest. So I don't understand why the need to undermine uh, George Russell in, in that instance to be like, oh, no, here, Lewis Hamilton is is the reason we win. Like, I think it's fine that part of the reason Lewis Hamilton wins is is because he's got the fastest car. I, I don't think that's really an issue. I, but uh, again, it's not a sport I don't know entirely about. What, what are your thoughts on that, Jan? Right. Well, I also don't know Formula One too well. Uh, the only, the, as much as I knew about it before we started talking about it, was that Lewis Hamilton was a boss, and that was Michael Schumacher was a legend. Uh, obviously, Michael Schumacher, a German legend, so that's how I know him because my dad was a fan for sure. Uh, but yeah, there must be some kind of thing, like an unspoken thing, and in, in that you know you don't want the car to be the reason. But my also thing is, even if that is true. Like you're saying, this one win by this guy is going to outshadow the history that Lewis Hamilton seven made? championships, ninety five win. Like the guy has every record, right? Exactly. So I I just think that's a little silly. If that if they sabotage this guy so he wouldn't win his first one, like I'm sure Lewis Hamilton wasn't at home being like, oh no, they're going to think it's the car and not me. Like I'm sure he was like, I hope my teammate wins while I'm out. <laughs> Yeah, like, I uh, certainly would have hoped so I, I Hamilton not to be like that. It, like, yeah, and I guess, we all do. Yeah, we all like do. you said, like we we don't know this sport entirely, but like I would watch Ford versus Ferrari a, a few months back, and like while they're like the the person that Christian Bale plays is an incredible driver, he, he's extremely skilled, but also part of their strategy is trying to build a car that's going to be the fastest. So to me, to me, it's like ah, uh, well. You know, is Tom Brady like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are the the they have to both be in cohorts together to be the greatest of all time. Like if Tom Brady doesn't have Bill Belichick, or or just because Tom Brady has Bill Belichick, does that mean that he's not a great quarterback? I certainly don't think so. So like the elements of trying to make a, a great car seem like that would be something you would all want to do. And I think they all have a bunch of money. They all got the same kind of side, like then go make your car faster. I, I don't know. Like that, that seems to be like you, the other people are strategy wise need to step it up. Right. Exactly. And it's, it's even deeper than that. It's, it's like, it's like saying, Oh, you know, Brady wouldn't have won all those championships if their his pads weren't as comfortable. It's like, yeah, probably his equipment was important to play the sport. I agree. But like he has, to, the equipment needs to be good for him to play well. You know, and, and and racing is is not as much as you want to make it about the other about the driver. They're driving cars. Like, how much do you think? Like, I, I and this is not taking away from the skill. There's absolutely a skill because they're all at such a high level. Level these cars that the only difference is going to be the skill. So I agree with that. But at some point, you have to say he can't go out there in a dune buggy and win that race. So like, it has to be the car has to be well built. Come on. Is Joe is Joe Montana not one of the greatest all, quarterbacks of all time because he had Jerry Rice to throw to? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, so come true. on. Like that. That's that's what sports are, and and we admittedly don't know Formula One incredibly well, but it, it seems like a silly thing to be like, oh God, what if they find out we have a really good car? Like, okay, 
I, that's good. I guess, I guess on the outside looking in, I kind of figured that was the case. I didn't think you were, like you said, I didn't think you were driving around in a dune buggy. Right, exactly. And you know what we should do, Matt? We should really get somebody who knows about Formula One on the podcast to like explain the, the situation to us. I think that's what we got to do. We'll find, we'll find someone. All, all the big Formula One fans listening in, let us know. Or maybe we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll contact Lewis Hamilton. Maybe he'll be our first guest on the show. Oh, man, I sure hope so. I'm quitting my day job. <laughs> that would be awesome. But uh, congratulations to Lewis Hamilton, nonetheless. Uh, won the championship already. And uh, only one more race of the season this week in, uh, I believe, Dubai. So uh, it's been a good Formula One season. And it's been fun for me to to kind of start uh, paying attention and, and, and watching the sport more. Jan, let's, let's head on over to the Champions League. As we already mentioned, match day six got wrapped up today for the last few groups. Why don't you start us off with your boys in Group A uh, and just kind of tell us who won, who got second, and, and maybe the outlook for both teams going forward. Right, yeah. I mean, this one was wrapped up in terms of first place already going in. You know, Bayern Munich top in the group with a win and a draw over Atleti kind of made it certain. Uh, and yeah, they, they're doing really well this season, top of the Bundesliga after an exciting draw this weekend with Leipzig. So, uh, their, their performance is kind of going across domestic and international games. Uh, and that one's pretty simple. They're very deep. They've added to their team. Lewandowski's still good. Muller's playing at a top level. They're going to compete for another treble, you know, and they, they, you know, the, the one thing that I will say is they only got one clean sheet in the group stage, uh, or I believe they got another clean seat sheet today. Okay, so they got two clean sheets in the group stage, uh, which, you know, not the best. You do want more clean sheets, I think, especially against four games against teams that you should, you know, kind of shut out. Uh, So they need some defensive answers. But Alfonso Davies came back today, looked just like the old Alfonso Davies. So I think they got some some good answers on the horizon. They just need to have a little more solidity there. Um, But yeah, they're doing they're doing really well. Happy to see them. and, you know, you look at, you know, obviously the teams that the, the the first place seeds can get, it kind of all depends on, like, who can play who based on who's – because they can't play Leipzig or Dortmund, or for, for example, because they're German teams. They can't play them the first round. Uh, so their, their first round opponent in the knockout rounds, uh, they're all teams that they can beat. I mean, you think – you look at it, it's Lazio, it's Porto, it's Atalanta – and it's Sevilla, and then it's Barcelona, who we know they can beat because, you know, they, they played recently, and Barcelona, you know, coughed it up on the last day. So they look like they're headed the quarterfinals pretty securely. Uh, in second place, you got Atletico Madrid. I think you still want to avoid Barcelona, though, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Of those you're, five... You're a group winner, and you get Barcelona. It's just like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> of course. And, and like, especially with the teams that we're actually allowed to play, it's like that's the one team that is good. Like, like all the other teams have so many questions and don't have the caliber of players we have, but Barcelona would be the worst, uh, worst idea. Yeah, yeah, not gonna, not don't want that, don't want that. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Atletico Madrid is is in the second place seed. They 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 were not there securely. They needed the win today. Uh, not the win. They needed a, a point today, but they got the win against Salzburg to secure them. Uh, kind of a rough Champions League season. One point in two games against Bayern Munich. Uh. They qualified on the final day, uh, so you know questions about them. But at the same time, Matt, they sit top of La Liga right now, and and Atletico Madrid isn't about pretty football; they're about being there. So the fact that they're in the the knockout rounds, you know, they had some kinks to figure out for sure. But they're still a hard out for any first play. I would not want to play Atletico Madrid in the first round of the play. I I would not. So God no. Um, 
yeah, I probably see them upsetting somewhere in the round of 16 and probably making a quarterfinal appearance. Uh, and yeah, then you got Salzburg and then you got, uh, and then you got locomotive, uh, obviously Salzburg disappointed, but a good finish for them considering, you know, they lost Eric Erling Holland and Minamino, uh, and they still almost qualified for the knockout rounds. Uh, you know, they, you know, not enough firepower, but they're, they're good in it. They'll be a good team in the Europa league and locomotive. They're just happy to be there. So, uh, they got good, they got good performances. They can focus on the Russian league now. Yeah, dude, Atletico, I mean, Atletico is going to march to the uh, the La Liga title just with 1-0 victory after 1-0 victory. Like like you said, they don't, they're never really going to impress, especially stats-wise, but it, it's a team that's, it's going to make anyone's life tough um, and, and can can certainly beat anyone on any day. Probably can lose to to lots of teams on any day too, but uh you know, not not a team that we've we've seen Diego Simeone get it done with with that club in, in the Champions League before. With honestly, with probably less talent than they have right now. Like they they certainly have a a very talented squad. But Atletico and Bayern, of course, are gonna. I I, I agree with you. I, I I see both of those teams moving on to the quarterfinals. Group B is where I will take us. It's been the the most exciting group that Real, Inter, Shakhtar, and Borussia Mönchengladbach. In the end, it, it's Real Madrid going through as the winner. Uh, after a tough journey, it, it's funny though because it looks like Real has has struggled a lot with this group, but it was really only Shakhtar. Like they had two losses to Shakhtar, and then the other four matches, that's where they got their ten points. So uh, apparently, as long as Real Madrid doesn't have to play Shakhtar, they they may be okay. Um, meanwhile, Shakhtar couldn't get points anywhere else. They had finished with eight points, six of those coming from their victories against Madrid. So pretty interesting, uh, just matchups there. Meanwhile, it is the German side, Borussia Mönchengladbach, taking second place, going to the knockout round for the first time ever. So congratulations to them. Uh, you know, Shakhtar is, is going to the Europa League. They're going to be a tough out. Certainly disappointing for Inter to be finishing fourth. This whole year has been uh, a, a pretty big disappointment for Inter. I think we talked a lot about the preseason of, hey, is Inter back? It looks like they're kind of turning that corner and, and getting back to be that that team that that we know them as. And now they're not even going to be competing in the Europa League. Um, you know, it was a tough group, but I don't think anybody Inter should beat Shakhtar and, and, and Munch and Gladback, quite frankly. But um, Real moving on as the winner. It's tough. I mean, you're never going to count out Real, but they're certainly not their normal daunting selves. And and they won't be playing at, at Atletico. They won't be playing Atletico Madrid. But there are some other tough or Barcelona, so they they get an advantage there. But there are some other tough second place teams that that Real Madrid could certainly lose to. I mean, I, we know Atalanta can make a lot of noise. Porto's a team that's not going to be afraid. Uh, but um, Leipzig's another team that I don't think is going to you know look at Real and, and be all that scared with, especially this version. So uh, congratulations to Munch and Gladbach. But but I think there's a good chance Real and and Borussia Munch and Gladbach. Won't be hanging out in the knockout round very long. Right. I mean, I, I'm so glad for Gladbach that, like, you know, Bayern's my team of heart, but Gladbach is the most German team ever. Like, they're just pure and down to the Germans. They they have players like Christoph Kramer, and they just, like, they're just efficient. And even just their name. Yeah. Borussia Mönchengladbach. Like... It's so great. No, I'm so happy. You I, say, I love like, their team. And you sound they're, like a they're, villain They've always been a thorn in Bayern's side. Yeah, exactly. And they've always been good and uh, really happy for the history they made. They barely got in, let's be completely clear. And I think 
Inter and Shakhtar, the way that Shakhtar had the opportunity and the and the players that Inter has, both of those teams should should be shouldn't want to see anybody for the next couple of weeks. The fact that neither of them could find a goal. I mean, come on, you needed one goal. Like, talk about the epitome of being a disappointment. You don't need to do anything but score one goal. You have Romelu Lukaku and you can't score one goal. One goal? My God, it's one. It's it's really disappointing. Gladbach, I'm glad they're in. They shouldn't be. And uh, and if Inter Milan is not going to score against you, Shakhtar, you're telling me you can't score one goal? One goal? My. It is weird. Like, a tie would have made sense with both of them needing the win. But, like, as you say, like, if either of you win, you, you move on. You get second place. Hell, if Shakhtar would have won, they would have won the group. Uh, so, like... At, it's extremely just surprising that there wasn't more attacking football, like that there that they couldn't, like you said, neither of you could find one goal in a game that both of you needed to win. It it kind of epitomizes just the disappointment that they've been in this entire competition. Right. And it's also, you know what it is, and like as disappointed as I am in Inter Milan, they did have an unlucky break because you know what happened about halfway through that game? You saw Shakhtar realized in that moment. We're not going to do anything in the knockout rounds. So they played for a point to make the Europa League. That's what they did. They didn't care about the knockout rounds, which is exactly why they didn't open. Because if they had opened to try to win, Inter would have scored on the counter. I I guarantee it, Inter would have scored. They were already pressing them pretty hard. And instead, Shakhtar played for the point. And if you want any proof of it, the coach at the end of the game threw his hands up in celebration. That's not what you do when you know you just missed out on the knockout rounds, especially when you won twice Real Madrid it's disappointing and like it's a it's a sad thing it's really sad to watch it's just like it makes it it does make a little sense though like from Shakhtar's perspective like like you said Shakhtar isn't gonna do anything in the Champions League they made the semifinals of the Europa League last year like and for a club like that like I agree with you you always want to see a team go and compete and win and stuff but you know long term what's really going to help a club like like a, the Ukrainian side Shakhtar is it maybe winning the Europa League, not getting knocked out in the round of 16 of, of the Champions League. Right. I just, I respect like a team like Club Bruges so much more that also wouldn't have done anything in the, in the, in the knockout rounds, but still played Lazio to a tie. They played Lazio. But Club, to a- but Club Bruges was guaranteed the third place. If Club Bruges lo- lost, they were fine. If, if Shakhtar lost that game, they're packing their bags and they're going home. Yeah, so, not not quite. You can't really compare the two. I just Club, Club, don't like Club Bruges was was playing with house money. Like no matter what, this was going to be a success for Club Bruges. Right. I don't know. I think Shakhtar should be a little disappointed. I I understand that they might it might be better. I just think uh, I just hated to watch when that coach celebrated. I was like, okay, like you got the job done. You didn't win the Super Bowl. My goodness. Like let's all calm down. I'm, I'm I understand. We can't all be we can't all be Bayern, Yannick. That's true, but you 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 know what you do? You said mission accomplished. You shake the other coach's hand. You don't throw your hands up in the air because you finished third. That's ridiculous. Anyway, especially better when you fourth. Had, better than fourth, I suppose. But uh, that's just where I stand. I hate teams who 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 finish for the position and rather than the the thing. Anyway, uh, yeah, Group B. You know, it it was kind of a, a lame ending to an exciting thing for sure. I was just like, oh, there's so many scenarios and. 
and Madrid. You know, good for Benzema. That was a Benzema win. That's what that was, and that's really good for him. At least, at least Munch and Gladbach got in. Like we said, we we didn't want it to be just Real and Inter, but uh, yeah, we might as well get to Group C. How, how much longer can we talk about Group B? I can't talk about it any longer. <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, we won't talk about Group C long at all because this one was this one was uh, settled up going in. Uh, Man City. You know what? The one thing we'll say about Man City, they, they've only conceded one goal in the group stage. That's pretty good considering their big thing is defensive errors, you know? So some defensive progress made there. It's in a weak group, but still, you know, Farron Torres coming up as a lead goal scorer in, in the Man City Champions League uh, stage. Kevin De Bruyne assisting well again. Uh, they had hiccups, but, you know, they go into the knockout rounds, a formidable team. You know, I think they're kind of like Barcelona. They have a lot of talent. I think they still have too many questions to think that they'll go the distance, uh, but they're going to be a good team to play uh, no matter who you are. So I see them also going to the quarterfinals, maybe the semis based on what their path is. Um, but yeah, you know, I think they're also, you look at the, the Premier League table, they're in seventh right now um, ahead of Manchester United, ahead of the Manchester Derby. So like uh, are behind Manchester United in the ahead of the Manchester Derby. So you know, they've had some questions all season. Maybe this is where they do their job. But, you know, I think they're a good team that will have an early out, uh, earlier out than they want. Meanwhile, Porto, strong showing from the Portuguese side. They finished just three points off of Man City. You know, they only concede uh, three goals. And you think about it, they've conceded three goals, even though they had two matches against Manchester City. That's pretty damn good. Like you expect it to be higher there. Sergio Oliveira, their top goal scorer with three goals. They sit third in the Portuguese league, four points behind Sporting. So they got it all to play for across their leagues. You know, I think they'll be a team that gets an upset in the round of 16. I really, really do. I think they could play like a Barcelona or like a team like that, that they're obviously worse than, but beat them because they got a good defense, a good team, and the players to score goals on the counter. Uh, so look for that. Look for Porto to make the quarterfinals off of uh, one of the more disappointing teams. Uh, hell, I mean, we'll, I'll talk Chelsea later, but I think they could beat Chelsea too. I really do. Um, Olympiacos finishing in that Europa League spot. Barely. They were level on points with, with Marseille, even though they beat Marseille in the first game. They are nobody. They scored two goals. They're going to finish, you know, they're going to get out in the first Europa League round. And Marseille should be absolutely disgusted with their performance. You know, they scored two goals and it's conceded 11 after a good season last season. Uh, you know, they're going to try to qualify for the Europa League next season. That's where they belong. That is the truth. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think this whole group always was, all right, what's what's Manchester City going to do? What's Manchester City going to look like? And and maybe, as you say, maybe there is – because I, I I think the pressure now on City is is the success in Europe. They've, they've won the Premier League now numerous times. They know they can do it. But this is a club that it wants, it wants to be on the same pedestal as, as Manchester United, as Liverpool, as Bayern, Real Madrid – and uh, you you can't until you actually get some success in in Europe, and we'll see if they maybe make some sort of a run like like PSG was finally able to do last year, albeit in a loss in the final. Um, because so far they they haven't shown it, and and I agree, Porto. I mean, if Porto went up against Dortmund, I I would almost favor Porto. Uh, I I think they're they're just a great team, and and will certainly be dangerous. Albeit, you know, always with these things, it's. What's the draw going to look like? You know, uh, if, if Porto gets Bayern Munich, I'm not picking Porto, but um, there, there's certainly some teams that that I agree with you that Porto is just as good, if not better than. Uh, Group D, 
Perhaps a little bit of worry, possibly, for Liverpool. They did tie Midian on the final day, even though Mo Salah got a first-minute goal. Uh, Liverpool started the game, and they were already up. Uh, But nonetheless, Liverpool wins the group. And at the end of the day, this is a team that's still only two years removed from winning the title and, and, you know, went to -to back-to-back Champions League finals. So in my eyes, was it the perfect group for Liverpool? Like, did they didn't... Did they go 6-0 and and dominate everybody? No, but we know the players they have. We know the coach they have. Um, and, and so in my eyes, they're still easily one of the favorites. I, I put them in the top three just because we know what they can do uh, and, and the players that, that win there. I mean, when those guys are playing together at, at the top, it's they're tough to beat. Uh, and, and Atalanta back in the knockout round where we know they will be able to make some noise. The Ajax had a chance. Uh, to to get the win on the final day at home in Amsterdam. Instead, Adelana gets a late goal to to secure the win and and knock them down to the Europa League. So, it, you know, Adelana is it, it's a team that you know probably more uh, is safer bet to say they're going to get knocked out of the round of sixteen. But as we saw last year, and I think even just in this group, because you know historically. Ajax is, is the much better team. Like they're not scared of anybody and they're going to play their style, uh, which, you know, can hurt them at times, but they know what they are. Uh, they're going to play some attacking football and and that can lead to, to some crazy things. They just, you know, missed out on the upset of PSG last year. So I, I think they're excited to get back to the round of 16 and it's awesome. But uh, yeah, I think, I think Liverpool should make at least the semis. Atalanta, I, I hope they get somewhat of a favorable draw. And, and I think they have a good chance to at least go back to the quarterfinals because as I said, they, they know who they are and, and they're not going to be scared of anybody, especially now where they've been there before, you know, they, this isn't, this isn't their first rodeo like it was last year. So uh, Liverpool on Atlanta, Atlanta on and Ajax go down to the Europa league where there'll certainly be a tough out in there. I, I agree. I think Ajax will be will be a team that you look for in the later rounds of the Europa League. And Atalanta, I mean, they're the Atletico Madrid of Italy. They really are at this point. Like, they got talent, and, and they might not play pretty, but they uh, they beat you, and that's all they need to do. So, um, yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, as, as a Bayern Munich fan, I told you the teams we have to play – the one team I don't want to play is Barcelona. The next one is Atalanta. I really don't want to play Atalanta because you don't know what you're going to get. Gasparin is a great coach. He, You know what happened in that game? Like more than Atalanta playing really well and, 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 and getting what needed to get done done, Gasparini set up his formation to defend against Ajax what they were going to do. And he did it perfectly. Ajax, who is so good at scoring goals, barely had a look on goal. And that's a lot to do with the coaching. So I, I think that he's going to have a game plan for most teams and it's going to be close no matter who they play. Uh, so that's going to be really exciting to watch. And uh, yeah, I think if you have Liverpool below more than two teams, then you're ridiculous. I mean, you can talk about Bayern before them and you can maybe talk about Juventus before them. But other than that, it's like they're Premier League champions. They're Champions League champions within the last two years. Like you can say whatever you want. They're not first right now in their own league. And, you know, they didn't win last year. But I mean... They still have all those same players. They still have that same coach. They're still a great team. And so if you're going into thinking Liverpool's any easier to beat, I wouldn't want to play. I don't want to play Liverpool until the final. I absolutely don't want to play Liverpool until the final. I don't think we'd win. I think it's going to be so close. No, absolutely not. 
It'll be a battle. It'll be a battle. So, um, yeah, I mean, but, but, uh, you know, obviously my, my heartfelt story, Midi Yayan, they got so many points that I didn't think they were going to get. I'm so happy for them. I was just like, that's a right. Whole, a whole two. And it is awesome. It's so awesome. That's what we love to see. You know, you don't have to win, but get, get you show up, show up and play. Uh, I'm going to go to group E. This one was pretty. This was decided before it happened. You know, Chelsea only dropping points in a 0-0 draw with Sevilla and a 1-1 draw on the final day with Krasnodar, which they didn't need because they'd already gone through. They got a 3-0 win. They got two 4-0 wins. Uh, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz coming into their own. We talked how are they going to start gelling with the team. They gel really well. Werner has the second most goals for Chelsea in the uh, Champions League other than Olivier Giroud, who lets... I mean, Olivier Giroud scored four goals in one game against Sevilla. So, like... That doesn't really count. Uh, it does, but, you know, it, it was one game thing. And Kai Havertz has the most assists for the team, so they're showing that they can gel. Um, also, something to kind of look at, uh, you know, Chelsea's doing well in the Premier League as well. You know, they're ranked third, two points behind Liverpool and Tottenham. Uh, they got a good goal differential. And, uh, yeah, I think they're getting better as players are getting healthier as well. Pulisic and Ziyech kind of coming back into it. Uh, they need some more time to gel with their new formation for sure. But, you know, they can win. I think I, you know, honestly, I like Chelsea right now. I really do. And I think that they can win any game that they're in. You know, I think if they avoid a big name, like I think the worst thing Chelsea could do right now is have this hit this group stage and then play Barcelona, which I, you know what? I think that's going to happen. I really do. I think Chelsea's going to have to play Barcelona and then Barcelona's going to knock them out. But I think as long as they don't play one of those big teams in the first match, I think they can go to the finals. I really do. I think that they've had the, they have the team, they have the momentum and I think they're only going to get better. There are questions in the defense for sure, but what team doesn't have questions in the defense right now? So uh, I, I think that Chelsea is going to. It's certainly better than it was. Yeah, for sure, it's certainly better than it was. So uh, I think Lampard's doing a great job there. So I think Chelsea is going to be a formidable team uh, for sure. Uh, Sevilla qualifying right before them in their four-zero loss in the in game day five. It kind of was decided that way. Uh, you know, the question was, they, they're the Europa League Kings, but can they compete with the big boys? And the answer is yes. I mean, they beat Manchester United, obviously, in Europa League final uh, last year. They tied Chelsea in their first match in La Liga. They tied Barcelona, only lost to Real Madrid by one. And if you'll remember in the UEFA Super Cup a couple months ago, you know, they only lost 2-1 to Bayern Munich. So there you go. They can play any team. Uh, they've been inconsistent in La Liga, and they sit 10 points off the top. Uh, so it kind of begs the question, you know, these players are good, but are they going to be good every time they go out? So my conclusion is they're probably too inconsistent for Champions League silverware, but I think that they're another team that goes to the round of 16 and gets an upset. Hopefully not against us, but uh, I, I, I I think that they, <laughs> I say that, um, but I think that they're a team that to look for in the quarterfinals as well. Uh, Krasnodar finishing third, five points from their first ever Champions League appearance. Really well done for them. Uh, you know, they sit 11 points behind Zenit, so they got work to do in Russia, and they'll take this momentum there. Uh, so I think they're going to be enough. Another tough Russian team to, to play uh, in the Europa League, a hard out there for sure. And Ren, my goodness, Ren. Remember when we were talking about that they were top of the table in Liga? Huh? Like, they just disappointing. I mean, they had a single point, even though they got to play Krasnodar twice. And I'm not shitting on Krasnodar, but, like, one point from two of those games, that's ridiculous. And... Uh, in Liga, they've lost three of their last five. They're down in ninth. You know, I, I think that team, they need to answer some major questions, definitely blow up the lineup. I think the coach is probably still safe somehow because 
you think about it, they hadn't won silverware in 48 years. And then last year they won the French cup against PSG. So that's kind of one of those things that it's hard to knock out a coach after he's just won silverware for your team really recently. Um, but they're unless in the Leicester city. Yeah. Unless you, yeah, that's true. Yikes. RIP. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, I, I think that he's probably safe, but they need to change some stuff in, in that, uh, French city club. Yeah. The, uh, the French league is just, uh, it's, you know, and I, you would, I don't know. I, I you would hope that the, like the, the emergence of PSG, it would raise the whole league up. And, and unfortunately, like, I, like, I think that's what Bayern has a dominance on, on the Bundesliga and, uh, obviously Juventus has, has dominated the Serie A, but I think like their dominance has, has helped. It's trickled down almost to like these other clubs, wanting to compete and then getting better and stuff where the French league has kind of gone more the, the, the Spanish side where it's just kind of the people at the top and that's always who it is, which is unfortunate. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I picked Chelsea as my dark horse last, last week. I think they're, I mean, they really are as talented as, as almost anyone in, in the champions league. And, um, I, I think Frank, Frank's really starting to kind of, get his sea legs as a manager as well. So uh, I, I think they're dangerous, but we shall see. Group F, not the most inspiring final match day for Borussia or Lazio, who go first and second in the group. I, I don't even I don't even have that much to say about Group F because I I mean Dortmund got 13 points, but they they've just they've looked uninspired in the Champions League. They haven't looked all that great in the Bundesliga this year. Lazio, I feel the same way about their performance in the Champions League. I, unless both of them get a favorable draw, especially Dortmund as the winner, I think these are both early exits in the round of 16. Uh, I just I don't see either of them. They, they both struggle in a group that really wasn't that daunting. Like Club Bruges, it, all the credit to them, but Club Bruges should not be competing with Dortmund and Lazio for, for a spot in the knockout round. Like they just shouldn't. So I don't expect much. We, you know, Dortmund can turn around anytime because that's who they are. But I'm expecting early exits from both those participants in Group F. Uh, as mentioned, Club Bruges going to the, the Europa League, still a big accomplishment for them. We'll see if they can keep up the the kind of form that they had in this group. If, if they do, I think they've got a great chance to make a deep run in the Europa League, which which would be huge for a club like that. Uh, but but we'll see. That, that That's going to be remain to be seen. Knockout round, even in the Europa League, is different than than group stage play. So they're still not the most daunting team to look at. But uh, if they can keep the form from the group, then I've seen them making a lot of noise in the Europa League. And and Zenit Saint Petersburg, just just a disappointing uh, performance by them. This entire group, only one point. Like I, I I thought at first this group could be really tight with all of them. And and Zenit Saint Petersburg, pardon me, Zenit Saint Peter Saint Petersburg. Really disappointed. Only one point through six matches, and they are deservedly packing their bags home. Yeah, and especially because Zenit's like first place in the Russian league, so they perform. They just can't perform in Europe. I don't know what the deal was, but uh, yeah, disappointing from them. I agree. You know, Dortmund's always one of those teams that can make teams pay, but now that they finish in the one spot, we've talked about teams this entire time that are going to be tough outs in the round of sixteen, and and Dortmund's probably going to have to play one of them, or worse, they're going to have to play Barcelona. So like I don't think they'll I I mean I don't know many teams that I would I would favor Dortmund against you know so I think 
I think it's going to be an early exit for both those teams as well. Lazio is too one dimensional. They just rely on, on Chiro Mobile uh, and, and that's it. So yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, Group G, this one was interesting. You know, you had the two teams that were already in, you had the two teams that were already out. Dynamo Kiev, Ferenc Varas playing for Europa League, Juventus Barcelona playing for supposedly nothing because Barcelona had a, had had the higher goal dif- differential and three points ahead of Juventus, but Juventus going into Barcelona and drubbing them 3-0 and qualifying on the head-to-head as group winners. And you know what this means? They get to avoid Bayern Munich probably. That's what it means for them, and that's what they needed because Juventus is historically bad against Bayern Munich, and that's probably what... Knowing the fates of the Champions League, that's what happens, is that you have Juventus, Bayern Munich in the first round. And uh, knowing, so the fates of the Champions League, knowing the fates of the Champions League, Bayern's going to get Barcelona too. Like, that's just like what it is. But, you know, I I hope not. But that's just like usually how it works out. And so I, I think that's what they won with this. And you had and you had great play all around. You know, Ronaldo's showing that he's still Ronaldo. And Weston McKinney getting an amazing team goal for Juventus, I was annoyed about how much they played that goal over and over again. Not gonna lie, I was like, guys, I, it was a fine, it was okay, it was a good goal, you know, good for Weston. It, it's a like people everyone, were oh, acting like it was like the greatest goal of the century, and I was like, let let's pump the brakes. Like, agreed, it, it was it was a terrific goal, but like, let's relax here. Right, and it's like, yeah, I heard someone say the greatest goal by an American soccer player, and I said. Oh, I'm sorry. What did, Landon, what did Landon Donovan run past the Algerian defense in the last minute to do for you in the World Cup then? What was that? Maybe maybe the greatest American goal in the Champions League. But like, and, and to be fair, it was like the tableau, the picture of it. It does look gorgeous. But like, yeah, pe- people were overreacting on that goal so much. They were. Anyway, but it was a good win, you know, and uh, they got some good pieces in place, Juventus. Obviously, we've talked about their struggles in the Serie A. They sit in fourth now, though. They're only six points behind Milan, uh, and they're only one game behind, one point behind Inter. So in second, so they 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 still have that. They still have that that they can get. Uh, they've only conceded four goals, so their defense showing up again. They've scored fourteen in six matches, two of which were matches against Barcelona, which is a credit, even if Barcelona is not the team that we expect them to be. Uh, but we know this, Matt. We They're like Man City. They are focused on the Champions League. That is what they are there for. They want to win it with Ronaldo. That's what they got Ronaldo for. Ronaldo is the Champions League winner. That's why he's there. They don't care about winning the Serie A again. They'll take it, but they don't care about that. They are like Bayern Munich was again a couple years ago before they won. You know, they want to win the Champions League. They will fire that coach if they don't. So, you know, I think that... Ronaldo, he's on form in the Champions League. He's got eight goals in ten games in the Serie A. They're a, they're they. I think they make a deep run. I honestly think as long as they don't play Bayern Munich, that that they, 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 they get to the final. I really do. I think that that's the only team that I see with enough pressure coming from the coming from the offense. Uh, Liverpool's the other team, but with Liverpool, what I what I worry about is that. You, with Bayern Munich, they have such they play that trap game so well that Juventus doesn't have that kind of counter game that could go against it. You know, Liverpool play less of a trap game, so it'll be a little more even. That's the only reason I say that. But, you know, if they don't play Bayern Munich before the final, they I think they get there. I think they can beat anybody. I wouldn't want to play them as Bayern Munich fan. I wouldn't play one one play them as any fan. And uh, they just got an easier path now by finishing first. So I think that that helps them as well. Meanwhile, Barcelona, oh, 
you know, you, you lose the Champions League in last year in disappointing, embarrassing fashion. You have this whole messy drama over the over the summer. You just you're performing well in the Champions League, but terribly in La Liga. This is all you're holding on to. And then this is how you perform. You somehow cough up the lead on the last day in a 3-0 loss at home in the Camp Nou. Oh, you know what it is? It's just, you know, we thought, oh, Barcelona, maybe there's still hope for them, but there was never hope. They are so dysfunctional. And I think La Liga's show is that more than the Champions League showed that, you know, and and I think uh, they've got another nightmare on the on the on the horizon. You know, I think probably another nightmare match with Bayern Munich if if the fates probably have it the way that they usually do. Um, you know, we've sung their praises. Obviously, they got 16 goals, five allowed, despite that 3-0 loss. So they're still a good team, but there's a reason they sit ninth in La Liga, and there's a reason they're 12 points of Atletico at the top. You know, they play well, they can give anyone a good game, but they'll fall as soon as they face any strong opposition. Uh, so that's how that's gonna go. Uh Dinamo Kiev being Ferenc Varos, 1-0 on the last day. So the Yale spot gets caught by them. Ferenc Varos, good for them. Second appearance, they do well. Uh, but yeah, the real story was Juventus finishing top at the end of it. Yeah, dude, there's I I mean, you said it with Juventus. There's I mean, there's no team just even historically that has, I think, disappointed in the Champions League more. They got two championships and seven runner-ups. Like that there's no team that's lost in the final more than Juve. And for a team that has had so much success as a club, that's something that I, you know, I feel like they think is is a black mark. Uh when you're two and seven in the final, that that is not the record that you want in, in the big game. Uh moving on to group H. I wish it would have been a celebration for me, but uh just kind of disappointment from United. PSG win the group. They get the five one win today over Istanbul. Leipzig get second, and uh, you can't say that they both don't deserve it. Uh, I'm interested to see what PSG is going to do this year. I've talked a lot specifically about how I feel like the monkey is off their back, at least a little bit, with finally kind of making a run, like year after year since since they've, you know, had that financial takeover. They've had talented teams, and they, you know, get to the round of 16 or, or the quarterfinals and lose to teams they shouldn't lose to. So, I'm interested to see if that, you know, is going to hold over last year from finally having some success and, you know, giving Bayern a good game. It's not like Bayern blew them out. It was a 1-0 finish that they they certainly could have won in, in a game where, where it's that close. So we'll see if PSG can can continue that momentum. And and we know what Leipzig is. They're just they're one of the best coach teams in Europe. Um, it was brilliant. I mean, and you, and you saw it, especially going up against Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, just the, the strategy and the chess match that was there. It, it was easily won by Leipzig. I think PSG, again, I, I mean, easily should go to the quarterfinals. I, I think probably should make the semifinals at least. I don't know if they're still – I mean, I, I'm not going to pick them over – certainly not over Bayern or Liverpool or Juve. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if Neymar and, and Kylian Mbappe can, can be what – they really are capable of being, it's going to be a team that is somewhat impossible to stop, but it, it remains to be seen if that, those performances will be, you know, brought out by those guys in, in this big moments. And I, now I have to turn to Manchester United and it's time to move on from Ole Gunnar. Uh, I love the man. He he's done some great stuff, certainly done some great stuff as a player. And, and I think even his time as manager has been, it hasn't been all bad, but I just don't think he's got the managerial skills that are 
what need that are needed to for a club like this. You know, I I think if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was the manager of Southampton or, or Wolves, I, you know, he might be able to really do some good stuff with them. But the the Fred decision against PSG was one where where I really and I because I've been an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer defender for a lot because I I, I know we, we're still in this for the long haul, no matter who the next manager would be. But when when you don't have the foresight to say, all right, Fred, Fred's anybody watching that game knew Fred was about to get a red card at some point. And to not have that sort of foresight, to not be able to see the entire picture, it, it was one of those moments where I was just like, I, yeah, he he doesn't have it. He he maybe he needs to go manage somewhere else and he can come back in a few years, but he he's a guy who really doesn't have a ton of managerial uh experience and, and it has been shown through time and time again. The set piece defense and offense for United's been pretty atrocious under him. And and as a United fan, it, I think come next year, either 2021 or season wise, Ole Gunnar and Paul Pogba need need to move on. Um, and United just need to start going down another path. Um, and God, honestly, too, can we please get rid of Ed Woodward? I, I'm so sick of of just the managers and the players getting all the flack since he's taken over. United has not been the club that it was for for many many years. Um, but uh, I love I love you, Oli. But I think it's time to go. And as you already kind of touched on, the the real big story from Group Group H, PSG and Istanbul played today because they refused to play yesterday. And and we certainly voice our support for Pierre Weibo and that the Istanbul assistant who unfortunately had to deal with that racism from the referee. The entire referee crew should be absolutely embarrassed. I get. I was so infuriated when they pulled that red card on him for for getting mad for legit. I mean, that, it goes back to what I was saying, where it's it's bullshit that Dembaba has to has to compose himself and and keep his composure because he's not going to get the benefit of that. If he doesn't, boom, they're going to give him a red card, and that entire ref crew, refereeing crew, has no place in the Champions League. Um, and and it's you know. You have to applaud the players for walking off. And it would have been so easy for them to be like, oh, let's deal with this. We made a stand. Let's go back and play. And I thought it was terrific by both teams for saying, no, we're not doing this. This this shit has to end now. And the only way it's going to end now is by doing that. We, we can talk about things as, as much as we want. And, and certainly discussion is important when we talk about race and the racial issues. But Real change is not going to happen unless there's action. And and it was well done by Paris Saint-Germain and the Istanbul players uh, for being for making that stand. Um, and as difficult as it was to watch my Manchester United team go out, it was awesome to, to see that from those two teams. Yeah, and also like the decision because they UEFA's first response was also dumb. They were like, okay, we'll switch out refs. He's just going to be the one in the truck then. And it's like, no, you don't no. understand. It's not that we don't want to see it. It's the fact that it happened. Like that's like that's the most lame ass thing to do. So now you want that guy to be making decisions for us in the VAR? That's what you that's the what? Like that doesn't make any sense. And there's no punishment there. And you and you and me talked about this off air like okay, so maybe in Romania it's okay to call someone by that word. I I'm I'm not going to say it. I I have no desire to say it. You're not in Romania. This is the Champions League. This is a world game. This is a world sport. And and that's also on, on UEFA where the, these referees need to understand, like, 
that that can't be allowed. So like, all right, it, maybe it's okay where you're from, but you're not you're not where you're at right now. And and then the fact that like the the UEFA doesn't see that is you know just it's more another symptom of of the the issue that's at hand and and, and the racism that is in soccer, which is extremely prevalent. Right, exactly. I mean, and it, and it just kind of shows that there are still countries where, you know, they haven't dealt with any of this because they're so homogenous and don't have that kind of voice to like speak up against it. And yeah, it just kind of unveiled that a little bit. So, but yeah, we we obviously stand with the players, and it was disappointing to see. Uh, yeah, and and as for Manchester United, you know, I agree. I mean, I think even past all this results. The fact that, because you know it was Ed Woodward that's been dealing with all this Pogba nonsense. The fact that he is the one who brought him in and kicked him out and brought him in and and now he's going to go out again because he can't figure out his mind. That Pogba failure, all the money that's gone into that, I'm just like, for that reason alone, you should be canned because there this money could have gone to actually making the team someone good at this point and you didn't put it there. You instead just kept spending on this one dude who didn't know what he wanted. And so like, that right there is a failure. That right there should kick him out. I don't. I mean, like I, right now too. Like I'm not even sure where we're gonna sell him because he. If you're a top club, how how enticing does he look anymore? And even when we do sell him, it it's not gonna be for what we paid for him. Right. Exactly. It's not. And like, and I. You're right. As a team, I would never. I wouldn't pay more money for for what for what. Yeah. Honestly, like he can he can. You know what it is. You remember Mario Balotelli when he kept having problems with teams and like people kept buying him and it kept happening. You know where Mario Balotelli plays now? In Serie B. And that's where Paul Pogba is going to play if he doesn't figure his shit out. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Boom. Boom. I said it. Yeah. I I think you, you may be right. He's, he's certainly not going to be playing where he expects to. But uh, yeah, those are... The group winners, the group runners up, and um, we will certainly be updating everybody when the round of 16 draw happens. We already kind of teased some possible matchups. Hopefully Bayern doesn't get too tough of a, of a draw. Um, meanwhile, I, 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 I have no intention of ever talking about what Manchester United does in the Europa League. I, I don't care. Yeah, we'll talk about it if they get to the final. Deal? <laughs> Fine. Okay. Thank you.